And welcome back to Scream Addicts, getting hammered with Hammer. I am Jinx, your co-host, and I'm sitting here with Paul Farrell. Paul, how the hell are you? How's the last week treated you? I'm I'm doing all right. You know, uh, kids are getting acclimated to digital learning and taking care of a, a foster dog that's starting to come out of his shell. So that's exciting. I'm I'm uh, sorry, distance learning. Why why I why why aren't you sending your kids to to, to school physically? Why why are they not in a classroom? Well, we're, um, I don't know if you've watched the news or anything. We're in this global pandemic. And, oh, no, um, but that's, that's all fake. Oh, 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 well, I didn't realize that. I guess. Yeah, no, only, only about 46% of America knows it. Like literally more than half of the United States and the rest of the world are buying into this hoax. But yeah, yeah. it's, if you, you know, it's just, uh, please, please tell me you're not a mask wearer either. Well, better safe than sorry, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. God bless you for keeping your kids home and safe because good God. <laughs> of course. Um, but no, you know, the world's a, an interesting place right now. Kind of scary. So um, it's nice to be able to turn to the world of hammer horror and podcasting and conversations with, with my friend Jinx. To, it is. Uh, Paul, you're to... getting real Skypey glitchy on me. Are, are oh, you still there? Okay. I'm here. You, okay, you dropped out completely, and you also sounded like you were doing the robot on crack for a second. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, it sounded fine to me the whole time, but and my connection thing says strong connection, so hopefully... Let me check on. Uh, also strong connection. You know what? It's Skype. It's We're doing Skype. We should probably be gonna... doing Zoom. Maybe we should do Zoom next week. We could try that. Because because Skype ain't cutting it. Skype is Skype has been a pain in the ass tonight. I gotta Skype's tell you, Skype's disappointing us left and right. So if I get choppy and robotic this episode, it's um, you know, it's it's not the alcohol. Let's put it that way. All right. Domo Paul. We are doing the Curse of the Werewolf tonight, and tonight it was Paul's turn. So Paul, why don't you describe to us a little bit what the drink of choice is? I'd love to chime in on that to provide a little bit of background, and then uh, then we could go ahead and dive into what the drinking game is. Ah! We'll hold the drinking game. Actually, let's go ahead and talk about the drink. We'll have some of that drink. We'll talk about some horror that we've watched in the past week. This is already running off the rails. It's ridiculous. I apologize. I'm still talking, and I don't even know why. Paul, please take the mic. I will. I will be glad to. And I, I think that's a that's a perfect introduction to what this podcast really is, which is really we should change it to going off the rails with Hammer. Uh, because that's kind of just what we do. Um, the drink of choice. So I wanted to do uh, like a margarita drink. So I conferred with my uh, my partner here that's around right. options. And uh, and I'm, I don't want to say this wrong, but I'm going to try. <laughs> it's a reanimatorita. Okay. Say it right. So that yeah, okay. So a little bit of background. Ages ago, when I was living in uh, Southern Ohio, I worked at a movie theater in Ashland, Kentucky, and one of the pastimes was uh, a group of us going to a great little mom and pop Mexican restaurant in Huntington, West Virginia, called um, Chili Willies, which is sadly no longer there. They made the best, Paul, the best queso dip in existence. Um, the best. The best Paul. queso, even better than the draft house queso, because the draft Paul. house queso is. Choice. I 
Yeah, I, I've never been to the draft house, and after some of the press I've gotten recently, I probably won't. But I will say about Chili Willy. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> no, it's not only like a cheese dip, but they also like ground up like meat and veggies and all this stuff into this like super thick paste that is maybe like the most delicious thing, easily the most delicious Mexican food I've ever had in my life. It did concern me, though. I remember, and Paul, I'm, I'm dating myself here. This is going back to like 2003, 2004. I held a party at my house once with a uh, – <laughs> it was a – okay, about two years before it hit U.S. theaters, I acquired a bootleg copy of High Tension. And I watched this, and I was like, I have to share this with all of my friends. So I called everybody over, and I had actually run the Chili Willies, and I grabbed loads of queso and loads of different uh, food items from there to you know put out a spread before we all dove into this uh, – Crazy slasher movie that is still underloved to this day. The ending is brilliant. I'm sorry if you don't get it, people out there. Uh, Paul, please tell me you love High Tension. Uh, horror Confessions. I've never seen it. I, I've it's. I've not seen it. I gotta watch it. I want to see it. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> to actually to, to to make certain that the food kept well enough. Uh, I popped everything into the fridge for a couple of hours, you know, and uh, about 10 minutes before everybody got there, I pulled everything out. I started reheating everything. I pulled out this queso, Paul, and it was mm -hmm. frozen like a rock. Now, I, to reheat it, I decided to dig it out of its little cardboard container. I stuck a fork in it, and it wouldn't okay. budge. I pulled the fork out, and there were four little wounds in it, and they started bleeding orange grease. Mm. Now, that was probably a signal for me to not put that stuff in me, but, um, you know, I never did slow down, not until they actually shut down, but I'm taking a long way around here, but that's what we do. One of the drinks they had there was a Midori margarita that I absolutely loved, and what it is, it is essentially margarita, but with Midori in it, which makes its name really dull. So I think it was only about two or three months ago. I was talking to Zena Dixon, friend of the show. God bless her. And uh, I was mentioning that I was having a few drinks. And she asked what. And I said Midori Margarita. And she asked me to describe it. And I was like, well, it's this really pretty, bright, glowing green color. Mm -hmm. And then I realized at that point that I can no longer call this thing a Midori Margarita. Rather, from here on out, I will only ever refer to the Midori Margarita as a Reanimatorita. And I, I love it. I love that name. And it's very tasty, I have to say. I love them. I'm not even a huge tequila fan, but uh, uh, I'm not even a huge margarita fan. But these things are absolutely delicious. Now, we're, we, of course, will put it up in our show notes. We'll tweet it out in advance of the episode hitting. But folks out there, if you want to play along, in order to make a reanimatorita, you need Midori. You need a bottle. Oh, shit, Paul. How much have you had? I hear you stumbling around I, in the background. There. Everything's okay. Everything's Holy fine. Shit. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Just checking on you, pal. Uh, it's, okay. it's, it's early minutes here, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't be stumbling this around is, yet. We're not going to make fun of you. Okay, so if you're out there and you want to make a reanimator Rita, you need Midori. You need a good tequila, preferably with uh, lots of blue agave. And it'd go with like a silver, like Salsa Silver or something like that. Um, and then you need a good sweet and sour mix. Now, in a blender... Throw in one part, I, I use one cup, one cup Midori, one and a half cups tequila, and two cups of sweet and sour mix. If you would like, uh, pull a Rick Dalton, throw some ice in there, blend it up into a frozen margarita, and you're going to have yourself a great evening. Now, Paul, we have a couple of Midori yes. margaritas. I'm sorry, I did it, didn't I? My bad. We have a couple of reanimator sitting in front of us. 
let's go ahead and uh, let's 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 drink about one of these and talk about some of the horror we have consumed in the week that's passed. What have you seen? Uh, yeah, um, I've seen a couple things this week, actually. Um, the first one I want to talk about is called The Den, which is a screen horror movie from 2013. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was, is it the first of its kind, sort of? Like, was that the first all on a screen horror film? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. it predated uh, Unfriended by maybe a year or two. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, screen movies, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but it's like, they just surprise me with how good they typically are. I don't know, I really, I don't think I've ever seen a screen movie that I didn't at least think was fun. It's the uh, worst possible idea. Yeah, it is the it's a worst horrible idea, idea but I, and like there's yet to be one bad one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's well, and I pitched it to um, my my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, and they're kind of like, that sounds awful. And I'm like, no, they're, they're good. And I showed them uh, Searching, which is my personal favorite one. I think Searching's the one I like the most. But um, The Den was the only one that I had never seen, so I went ahead and uh, rented it. Um, I had heard from Trace Thurman a long time ago. He told me like a year ago to watch it. I just hadn't gotten into it yet. Um, and I found it really effective. I really, really liked it. It's, it's dark and it's dour and it, um, you know, it's a very punishing kind of movie. It, it feels more indicative of like the aughts than it does sort of horror now, you know, it's got that kind of torture attitude towards things. I don't like the term they used to use to describe horror movies back then. Cause I feel like it's condescending, so I won't use it, but it's got that torture kind of feel to it. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I thought it was really creepy, really scary. I thought it used, uh, the screens really interestingly. Um, I was really sort of wrapped up into the premise of the movie and I thought it was kind of, and I like both unfriended, but the only thing is it kind of makes unfriended dark web, like a little bit feel more derivative, um, than I used to think it was. Cause it's, it kind of mirrors that movie pretty closely in some ways. Um, but yeah, so I like the den. Have you seen, you've seen the den. We talked about this. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw the den back when it came out and I remember tweeting right after it ended. Um, you know, I, I, I love, love that movie until it's final minute and a half, two minutes where it just felt like the ending was needlessly cruel. The uh, where it winds up is something that didn't seem to support what had come before. And it made me realize, you know, when I was a teen, you know, you're a burgeoning horror fan. You start seeking out tougher and tougher movies to watch to see what you can take. Um, and, you know, to see how transgressive, you know, the movies you can watch can be. And uh, I, I think weirdly enough, it took me watching The Den for the first time to make me realize that I'm kind of over you know, uh, just unnecessarily downbeat endings. I like a good downbeat ending as long as it supports what's come before. And as long as it's kind of like the natural conclusion to, you know, everything we've seen up until that point with the din, it just felt, uh, it just felt cheap and bleak and it kind of soured everything that had come before because the movie is very well made and it's very well acted and it's very intense. It's very scary. Um, but yeah, when, when but you know, I spend ninety minutes with this character that you know you're you're kind of made to fall in love with, and you kind of see them through you know their their travels and their uh, trials and tribulations, 
And then when you get to the end credits, you're just kind of like, okay, what the, what the fuck was that for? You know? Um, and there are going to be loads of people who will not have that reaction at all. And if you're out there, I would definitely recommend watching it. I, I wouldn't recommend that anybody not check it out, but it just, um, for such a good movie, it left me with a sour taste in my mouth right after. No, I, I get that. And I mean, it, it is a very dark ending that is unpleasant and uh, whether or not the movie earns it is tough to say. Um, I guess it depends on what you think the movie's trying to do. Um, I think th- for me, I guess the reason it worked for me was the movie was more about like, this was definitely a, I want to scare you kind of movie. It, it, it has good character work that a lot of those movies don't often have, um, which maybe makes the impact of the sort of upsetting nature of where it all is sort of heading the entire time, which I felt like the movie was constantly foreshadowing. I think that's why I guess the movie worked for me is like, I kind of expected to have a really dark ending, like given the information that the movie's constantly giving you and the amount of power, um, those sort of, and I don't want to like spoil it. Yeah. So I'm trying to be really vague. So I apologize, but it's like those sort of perpetrating what's happening. Um, I got the sense the entire time that there were sort of forces at play that are going to be very difficult to um, to to defeat. I, um, I but get it, but that. It does... I, I, I get that. And certainly the second Unfriended, you know, you could already. And that's a movie that I don't I think is like nearly that's... as. It, it, to me, the second Unfriended is not as effective as the the den and yet it didn't offend me as much even though it ends in much the same way but to me it felt like the movie made a point of saying that you know those characters you know their their fates were already kind of drawn i didn't get that from the den and not only that you know i you i think you nailed it when you said this was a movie whose intent was to scare you and it did but there was something, you know, maybe it's just that I feel that there's kind of like this unwritten contract between filmmaker and viewer as to what the movie is going to be. And to me, it was a good, scary movie until it got to the point where it decided like, ah, and now we're going to make you feel fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now we're going to now we're going to go for disturbing instead. Now we're going to go for grotesque. You know, these people who are super clever and terribly smart and who are able to sort of set up all these great machinations and this gauntlet to run our character through. Well, it's all going to wind up at the end of a bullet. That's the whole point of the thing. You know, it just, it felt again, it felt cheap. Well, I I would say the, the point of the thing was a lot bigger than that. I think the point of the thing is the, the culture around, uh, I, you can't really say it without spoiling it. Um, it's like hostile to, it's it's Hostel Two, it's it's literally a screen version of Hostel Two in terms of the like the bulldog club side of it, right? Like it's you're you're seeing you know that mon the the amazing montage. I I'm not gonna get into the Hostel movies and whether they're good or not, but there's a really great regardless of whether you like the movie or not. There's a really great montage at the beginning of Hostel Two where it shows all of the random people in their homes doing normal things like bidding on people. Do, oh, do yeah. you remember that? Oh, it's, it's a great match. I, uh, I, I like this. And... I'm going to go ahead and throw that out. No, no, and uh, I do too. I do too. I just, I, it's like a real touchy subject. It feels like in horror, especially Eli Roth. Cause I guess he's a not great guy from what I'm hearing. Um, but what? Long story, 
I don't know. I, I don't want to get into that. Uh, but at the end of the day, point? I I like I like uh, the two hostile films, but um, I feel that the den is almost like excising that concept and putting it and doing a screen movie about that concept, right? Like that's kind of what it is. So uh, to me, at the end, I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's what this movie was. But we were seeing it from the perspective of one of those people, which sort of opens up the cruelty and how scary it is and how easy it is for people to dehumanize others on the Internet. I guess, um, and I guess one so, of the things that makes the hostile movies kind of palatable in that sense is the fact that there is some sort of reversal. It's, you know, I, I had a friend of mine and I don't. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, you know, with, with each of those, with the two hostile movies, there is kind of a reversal at the end where, you know, I didn't need the lead from the den to turn the tables on the people, you know, doing what they're doing and killing them all or, you know, bargaining to get the, to keep their life. You know, I didn't need that, yeah. but give me something more than, uh, you know, it, it's like it plays at one note the entire time. And it plays that note very well because, I mean, I think at least on my part, I expected there to be something more at the end rather than just, you know, uh, sure. Yeah, cold I, no, senseless I, I, murder you know yeah i yeah I, I i see where you're coming from on it so that 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 makes sense for me you know it's just one of those things where i i i enjoyed the ride so to speak but i totally get like not being satisfied sort of where it ends but um yeah that's the den um did paul, did, paul I, yeah. I watched fade the black oh my goodness Paul, that movie's amazing. Did. So glad you Paul, watched it. Why? Why did nobody tell me? I feel like people kind of talk about I this movie, but I did tell you. <laughs> you did. You did. But it, but told, it was. I told Twitter shot. the second I saw it, like years ago, or when, I don't know. If it was years ago. <laughs> Whenever it was on Amazon illegally, sorry, uh, sorry to whoever that hurt. But uh, oh, I saw a direct apology, sir. I I do apologize. No, it's a it's a fantastic film. I think it's. And it's so much more interesting. Like it, it feels more like a, like a, I don't know, like Romero's Martin kind of like oh a my character. God. Yes, I never. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. I can totally draw that parallel there. Um, why is it? Do you think that? It, not even in the film's marketing, not even with the poster, but in the way people talk about it it always struck me as being kind of like, in my mind, I thought it was going to be a fun slasher movie and that's it. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm down for that. I'll check it out at some point, you know? And then, you know, I never, I never felt the need to seek it out. A buddy of mine had talked about it for years. Uh, you know, I saw it on the, uh, the convention circuit at all the bootleg tables that you run across, you know, but I never felt the need to pick the movie up and check it out. And then shutter gets it and everyone starts going ape shit for it. And I was just kind of like, you know what? It's time. Finally, yeah. I'll give this movie a shot. Within the first 10 minutes, I was like, this is not the movie that I've been sold for years at all. This is like this really <laughs> dark, kind of beautiful, really disturbing character study. You know, it's 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 barely a slasher at all. 
Um, yeah. And I love slashers, but that's not what this movie is. What it is is kind of fucking genius and really prescient in a way. And like super, you know, I, I know people roll their eyes whenever people use this term to describe movies now, but fuck it, it, it works in this matter. It's a very timely movie, even for being 40 years old now. Mm-hmm. No, it really is. I agree with you 100%. No, I, yeah. I absolutely love it. And it's so damn well made. Dennis Christopher's performance in it, I mean, he was super young in it. He's a knockout in that yeah. film. Like, he's just fantastic. The stylistic choices that they make, some of the surprise. I mean, I didn't realize Tim Thomerson had a major role in it. I didn't realize that, like, uh, baby Mickey Rourke is in it, which kind of blew my mind. Um you know, it's it's I don't know. I, I could go on and on about it. But the thing is, even though it is a 40 year old movie, it's also a movie that people haven't gotten to lay their eyes on super easily. So in a weird way, I am actually kind of wary of spoiling much of it, aside from saying, folks, if you got Shutter, watch Fade to Black as soon as possible. And if you don't have Shutter, get it and then watch Fade to Black as soon as possible. Shutter to me is just consistently proving itself to be essential to horror fans. Like it is an essential service. The curation that's gone on this past summer, which I think has been the best since it actually premiered has been just sterling. Yeah. And, and I love, I love that they're actively seeking out difficult to find films. And, um, and then two, Getting films off the festival circuit and immediately available to horror fans as much as possible. Um, it's just, it's wonderful what they're doing. Um, I probably use that service more than any other at this point. That Them and, and maybe Amazon Prime. Because Can Amazon be, Prime is a wealth of classic horror as well. Can I be honest? I, for the first couple of years when I had Shudder, I... I, it's what like five bucks a month, six bucks a month. Like it's, it's worth it. Yeah, it's five it, bucks a month or fifty bucks a year if you do it annually. But you know, it's worth having. I mean, that used to be the price of a VHS rental twenty years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's worth it to have no matter what. But I'll say this: yeah. for the first two years or so, it wasn't like I was constantly hopping on the shutter and watching stuff. They would have like maybe three or four titles that you couldn't see anywhere else or were premieres or were items of interest that I would hop on and check them out. And then I would be pretty much good for the month because everything else they had, I would usually have with physical media or, you know, I'd already seen it or it was kind of like, you know, uh, just a, a, a tried and true title, you know, at a certain point, They've become, like you said, absolutely essential for seeing, you know, just run at festival titles or titles that you can't. I mean, they got Fade the Black, you know, at one point they had yeah. Ken Russell's The Devils, you know, they yep. had the, um, That's how I saw oh them. God, the, uh, they had the original, and sadly they're not there anymore, but they had the original Juon movies. I'm not talking about the grudge movies, like the Japanese grudge movies, like one and two. Uh, the first time, you know, those were made on film and were eventually remade in the U.S. as the Grudge films. I mean, they had the original Jew on the Curse films, like Jew on the Curse 1 and Jew on the Curse 2, which are not available at all here in the States. And sadly, they, they aren't now either. But for a time, leading up to Sadako versus Kayako, they had those movies to watch. And, you know, my hat's off to them. Whoever is doing the curation there, which I think Sam Zimmerman is probably, you know, I imagine he plays a pretty big hand in that. But they're doing fantastic work. 
Yeah, for sure. No, I love it. Um, in general, I've been really happy. Like all of the streaming services have been doing a really good job recently of like giving us festival movies, you know, movies that previously would you would have to hear about for two years before it would finally get dumped to Blu-ray or something. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's been really cool feeling like I'm not constantly waiting on things in some ways. <clears throat> like another movie I watched this week that um, I absolutely like probably going to end up being on my top 10, if not my top five horror of the year is called the wretched. Uh, have you seen it? Have you seen the Wretched? No, but I saw your tweets and you texted me about it. I really yeah. want to see it. Now, didn't it? It played the drive-in circuit right when theaters were yeah. shutting down. Right? Yeah, it played um, theatrically uh, on a limited release, and it was in festivals and stuff. And I had, I had heard about it on the festival circuit, um, and it's so good. <laughs> it's It's on Hulu now. And similarly, I, I won't ruin it. The, the way I kind of think about it, it kind of has like, it's very much Fright Night combined with like the the really dark, eerie mythos of something like The Witch. <laughs> it's kind of like oh. Fright Night meets The Witch. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, is how I, and I, it is, that's, it is as good, it is as good as that sounds. Like, it is, it's, it, that's it's, it's the, the kind of basic line that premise. gives movies greenlit, Paul. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, like, it is so fun, and I didn't know that's what it was going to be, so, like, I sat down to watch it, and I was kind of, okay, all right, all right, and then when I kind of put it together, that's where it was going, I was like, holy shit. I was like, why did nobody <laughs> tell me to watch this? I even looked it up, I was like, how long has this been on Hulu? Like, I would have watched this day one had I known what it was really about. Um, and yeah, it's it's it is like kind of has the fun sort of angsty teenage misadventures that you would expect out of something like Fright Night with a boy who's obsessed with sort of like rear windowing his neighbor while he's staying with his father on summer break. He suspects that his neighbor might be uh, a witch. Um, and so it's kind of replaced the vampire aspect of Fright Night with witches um, but the difference is, whereas in Fright Night, you know, Jerry Dandridge is taken fairly seriously, but at the same time, there's goofiness. He has one-liners, you know, he kind of has that swagger. There's, there's a lot of humor there. There's a lot of humor in this movie when it comes to the teenage stuff, but when it comes to the witch, the, it is deadly serious. She is terrifying. Um, and that's what I really liked about The Wretched. That's what separates it from being a clone of those other types of movies is the horror in this movie is very dark, very real and very terrifying. Um, and I was incredibly impressed that they managed to meld that type of seriousness and darkness with like lighthearted teenage exploits. Um, so I give the movie my highest recommendation. Definitely something everyone should seek out. And it's on Hulu right now. So you can just go watch it. <laughs> uh, okay. So here's the thing. By the time we hop off here, I'm probably going to be kind of drunk. But uh, you've sold me enough on the movie that I'm probably going to try and watch it anyway. Damn, uh, I, don't okay. know if that's, I don't know if that's ideal, but <laughs> I'm going to do it. Because well, i got to tell you, like, well, I'm, yeah, just nice. increase me, I'm drinking on an empty stomach and I'm about three quarters of the way through my first reanimator Rita and I'm okay. feeling it, Paul. I'm feeling a little bit. So, yeah. 
uh, I, I had a, it's all downhill I, from here, sir. I had a hefty turkey sandwich, like a deli turkey sandwich. Um, Damn it, that so sounds feeling. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah, like um, some Vermont white cheddar. Okay, and stop. Some boar's head smoked turkey. And um, oh my god, boar's head! Is it boar's head the greatest? Head. Oh, boar's head is just as good as it gets. Okay, it comes now to where do where do you get boar's head from? Because honestly, I'm from Southern Ohio. I had never even heard of boar's head, but I come down here to Florida, and then all of a sudden, like every Publix down here has boar's head, and I'm like. I don't want to pay $10 for a package of bacon, but I did it out of morbid curiosity. And then I tried it, and Paul, it's the best damn bacon I've ever oh, had yeah. in my life. It's, it's Same thing with hot dogs penny. and ham and turkey. Like, literally, yeah. what the hell are they putting in their meat that makes it that I'm damn going, good? It's phenomenal. I'm really lucky because there's a grocery store chain around here that um, carries it. So there's a there's just a chain uh, that has is fully stocked with all of the Boar's Head product. And it's like five minutes from my house so have you tried boar's head frankfurters i have not actually paul 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 I'll put it i'll put it on my to-do paul holy oh, shit will, it I is will. the i i didn't realize how underachieving every hot dog had been <laughs> up until this point in my life <laughs> until i bit yeah. here's the thing i heated one before i even threw one on a bun i was like this is boar's head i'm just gonna try one without any sauce without any mustard without any relish without any bread i'm just gonna try just a tiny little bite and i tried one paul i think i saw god when yeah, i fit into that thing probably did i mean if, if they can make a hot dog that good you know that that it's whatever it is they make is going to be amazing i want a documentary about their process called meat wizards <laughs> don't know if i'll get it i, I, I would, just, i'm telling you right I would... now I, that's what i want <laughs> So okay, final thing I'm gonna mention, and then we should probably dive into the movie because we're uh, we're it feels like we're already drunk, and I got to tell you, Paul, I'm getting there, but we're over 30 minutes in. Uh, oh, wow. People are probably wondering why we haven't gotten the werewolves and their damn curses. Uh, but let's get there quickly. I'm just gonna throw something out real quick. Okay. In the last week, I rewatched. I did a double feature, Paul. I watched The Babysitter, and then for the oh, first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I watched The Babysitter, Killer Queen. And, Paul, I got to tell you, uh, even though I got a little I, – I don't know if we got enough time on here to talk about it, but I caught a little shit for uh, for liking Killer Queen. But you know what? I, I don't care because, Paul, I love this series. I love those movies. I dearly, dearly love The Babysitter and Killer Queen, and I hope there is a third one. I have never been a huge Mick G fan. I've never hated the guy but Charlie's Angels, those movies aren't really for me. His Terminator is kind of, yeah, you know. Uh, but holy shit, does he direct the hell out of those slasher love letters? You know what I mean? Yes. I. So full disclosure, I, will, I like The Babysitter. I have to revisit it. I watched it when it came out. And I, I thought it was like sort of a like a good movie. I, I, there, I had some issues with it. Um, but... The ultimately Samara Weaving like just was so damn good in that movie that it it kind of just made me gloss over any problems I had with it. You texted and then, me and you used the word electric. Yes. And I yeah. can't. And here's the thing. Like she is obviously drop dead gorgeous. Right. Sure. But her on-screen presence like it it goes beyond that. Like she has such charisma and she is like yeah. so far. I've only seen her in a handful of things, 
But that handful, okay, what do we want to count that as? Uh, I've seen her in Ash vs. Evil Dead. Uh, she was yep. in The Babysitter. She was in Ready mm-hmm. or Not. She was in The Babysitter 2. She was in um, uh, a Ryan Murphy show called Hollywood. Uh, I have not seen the newest Bill and Ted, but I know she's in that. That's only a handful yeah, of things, right? She's. Have you seen uh, Mayhem? Is she. Oh, my God. She's amazing in Mayhem. Yeah, so, Mayhem's great. But the thing <clears> is, like, okay, that's a handful of things. She's doing pretty great at a really early stage in her career, sure. So why is it, though, that I still have this feeling that she should already be a megastar? Well, because she should. (laughs) (laughs) She just should be. Like, she's that good. Like, every everything she's ever in, no matter how, like, what the quality of the movie is around her, which generally she picks fun movies, so I'm not, you know, I'm not, like, saying anything against those movies. Her but like, is fucking fantastic. Either her or agent, I don't know who, but holy shit. She's just, she has a, a certain charisma, a certain charm, a certain swagger, um, a certain way of embodying her characters that no matter who she is or what she's doing, you, you, you love the character she's playing, you care about them instantly, um, and you're in for whatever the adventure is. Uh, and the same and... thing is, you know, what's weird is, as much as I love the babysitter killer queen, I will say the movie kind of suffers from not having her in it that much. And yet, yeah. spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, because I know the, <laughs> the marketing was playing kind of dodgy with this fact for whatever Which reason. Which was cool, because it was a nice surprise. I so. It was, but at the same time, like... If they were going to do that, if they were going to hang on to her until the final moments, then she shouldn't have popped up in two second cameos throughout the entire movie. They should have been sure. shot. Like, yeah, they that it, honestly, I, I agree that that gave it away. I was they, like, oh, they okay, should have so. <laughs> done that exact same thing. They should have had all of those flashbacks, but it should have been these weird, like over the shoulder shots of just like a blonde person talking to all of these characters instead of showing her face. And then at the end, have her walking out of the water because that's such a hero's moment. And I will say like as sappy as it is and forgetting like the crazy shit that she did in the original movie. And again, spoiler alert, if you have not seen the babysitter killer queen, skip ahead about 30 seconds listeners, please. But I love that there was kind of a redemptive arc for that character. Like it felt, it felt natural. It felt like earned in a way that it probably shouldn't have, but it did. It was appropriate given the ending of the first one, though. Like, yeah, like it, it makes sense. And like, I. But here's the weird thing. So I think the first one's like got some air weaving in it. So I'm going to be more inclined to watch that. However, I do think the second one's a better movie. Personally, really? I think I think like well, I the... love that you say that. I love that you're saying that because people are bashing it online, and I'm like, here's the thing. Yeah. I like the first one more. But I love the second one. I, I think they're both super strong movies, and I, I love that you love it because so many people have been kind of yeah, trashing I, I really liked it, and I almost was kind of embarrassed about it. Like, when I was tweeting about it, I was like, oh, should I should I not say anything? And then I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to say I liked it. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, like, I don't think... Sometimes people want to ascribe certain things about your character if you like a movie or something, you know, oh, it's like, Oh, oh I can't. Like oh, I hear the, <laughs> because it has these thematics in it. And then you're, you're bad because you like that. And I'm like, well, you know, not if, 
Not necessarily, because I may not see that in it. And yes, maybe that comes from I'm coming from a place of privilege because I'm not experiencing, you know, the pain that that causes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that my enjoyment of of a piece of art is, you know, any less meaningful to me um, or is dangerous to someone else. I totally understand that a movie's not going to work for everybody. And that if you don't like a movie or it doesn't work for you, like, absolutely don't watch it. Um, but I, I still think like there's value in entertainment, you know, across the board and in different perspectives. And, and for me watching babysitter two, which funny enough, I watched it because I liked the first one enough to, to kind of go into a sequel, but I wasn't like excited. I was just kind of like, Oh, well this is out. I'll check it out. And I really liked the plot. Um, I, I thought it did something really interesting where the boy, it would have been really easy for that movie to make the boy kind of a hero. And I really like that, like his heroicism in the first movie has cost him kind of his whole life. Yes. Yeah. Or, he like, doesn't like him he doesn't making the right go decisions. into the second movie unscathed. Like, no, he, he has made it like he has sacrificed everything to stand up for himself and his soul and nobody believes him and the one person and i do love that again spoiler alert again if you i i I know i said 30 seconds but listeners if you're out there let's 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 tell you what just just skip ahead a minute because i do (laughs) want to talk about one thing because i think you're right paul um i love though that ultimately like you know, he it's almost like he has two trials by fire. But ultimately, by the time he gets to the end of the second movie, he is rewarded for staying true to himself and for not buckling and for not just going along with what everybody wants him uh, to be. He, 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 he is always the guy that he was at the very beginning of the first movie where we saw him. You know, he is still that same dude. And yeah. because he is that same guy and because he doesn't just bend, because he doesn't just keep taking the medication and going along with what makes everybody else comfortable, he is ultimately rewarded for that. And I think that's and that coupled with kind of the redemptive arc for, you know, who should be the villain of the second movie, but ultimately is kind of a hero too. it made the movie really ultimately kind of like just a sweet coming of age story, which is not what I expected. And it's, it's, you know, I think honestly, the reason I respect the hell out of the second movie so much is the fact they put far more work into that story and those characters than they probably even needed to. They could have just done a carbon copy of the first film. And honestly, from the trailer, that's what I thought it was going to be. And I was still going to be there, but they made it more than that. You know, they put in the work to actually create another great little piece of, fuck it, I'll say it, another great little piece of art on top of something that's just an entertaining and I think far more authentic throwback to the 80s than even the first one was. Yeah, well, agreed. I Like I said, I like the second one more. Um, and that's not to shit on the first one. I just I just liked it a little more. And I, I missed I missed uh, uh, Samara Weaving, of course. You know, had she been featured in it, I would like it even more than that. And there were things that I didn't like. Um, I, I think Mick, Mick G's a director I don't particularly like because he's a little bit... Uh, like, I do see... like. You know, the male gaze is alive and well in his movies in yeah. some very frustrating ways. Um, but, 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 more would, so in I, the first movie. But like, I, like the, I agree with you, but also 
especially in the first one, absolutely. Yeah, and I first and yet at the same time, the fact that when it comes to... <laughs> I, but, but is it problematic or is it honest? Because you know what, the uh, movie's hero. The, the hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. The movie's hero is a twelve-year-old boy, and you sure. you have to buy that he is completely and utterly enamored with his babysitter. So Wait, how do you, so how do you handle that visually? Is well, there any think, other way than what he did? I don't think so. I, 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 we, and you could debate the semantics of filmmaking all day long. I, I, I think that I, I, I think there's, I, I think there's a, 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 a level of that that can be in there, but I think it's in there more than it probably needs to be. Like, I think, I think he takes advantage of that, that plot point, like a bit, he takes it a little farther than he needs to. Um, like in the second one, I really didn't really like the uh, the guidance counselor stuff where he's kind of like, you need to get laid. And like that kind of shit was like, eh, I don't know. It, like that stuff just doesn't feel authentic in the same way. I mean, not, to to the world they're building, that just felt like, guys, you need to be cool. And like, I, you know, and, and I, didn't, like, everybody... I didn't love they kind of go back to it. I don't know. I didn't Everyone like that. on the periphery, though, is uh, that's... Honestly, like, I can't think of another movie quite like this. Either if you're a horror comedy, either you're running at one level where everything is a little heightened, it's a little broad, it's not quite realistic, or it is, and then the humor extends from those characters, right? What I think is so fascinating about the Babysitter movies, one and two, is the fact that your core characters, you know, you have Cole, you have B, you have, uh, you know, all the characters populating, just the closest ones. I'm not even talking about the killers because obviously Jesus, not the killers, you know, not the little cult or whatever, but your heroes are grounded, right? Yeah. It's the supporting characters who are incredibly broad. So there's a mix there. Like, yeah, the guidance counselor is broad and yeah, the cop in the second movie is broad when he's like hitting on Cole's mom you know, yeah, right in front of and stuff yeah, like that, stuff and like that. But, but the dad is broad, and that works. Like, like you can be broad in a movie like that and have it sort of work. But I think I don't know. I think I don't and, think but, the sensibilities storytelling always tracks. I guess is is how it works for me. But I can look past some of that stuff because the bulk of the movie is really fun. Fair enough. All right. So, but we would both give it a thumbs up. Yeah, you know, I really liked it. Yeah, the, the, and again, I just wanted to be balanced with how I was talking about it. But yes, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay. The, uh, you know, I could have a whole conversation about The Babysitter too, and some of the controversy <laughs> well, on Twitter. Well, Babysitter podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, but you know what? Just seek out the Twitter. I think everything was kind of resolved on there. It was, you know, there were some points raised that I can't, I'm not in a position to say whether those points were valid or not. I'll just say that the resulting conversations that arose, you know, some of the film's choices were really interesting to me, um, you know, and so, yeah, yeah, seek those out if you can. Uh, otherwise, God, that's going to be frustratingly vague for listeners, especially the fact that they're going to be listening to this a month and a half out. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's I was just going to say, by the time thing. this plays, like, babysitter, they'll be like, what are they talking about? Exactly. What movie? You know what? <laughs> and folks, here's the thing. You listening at home, the best way to get through that is to have another drink. Now, we are 45 minutes in, which makes the this the longest pre-movie chat we've ever had. Paul, let's go ahead and dive into the damn film. 
I now, feel before, kind of guilty. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> no, hey, I'm the one who brought it up. I, I, we're both guilty, pal. Uh, I got to tell you, though, I'm already like a margarita and a half in. I'm already a little loopy, so this uh, this conversation is going to be, be an fun. interesting commentary. And it forgive all the sure sounds is. I'm making you drink, so there's going to be some, some sounds here. I'm going to have to step away at a certain point and make some more margaritas, so you just feel free to bash the shit out of Dexter if you want, sir. I will never. You know what, Dexter? Thing that was like episode one or something. I don't even know. It was anymore. episode two. It was episode oh, two. oh, that was like the first time I got really drunk because episode one was the beer episode and we were just kind of uh, tipsy. Yep. And you yelled at me and said I could never have beer again, and That's I cried. Correct. It was very intense, but um, terrible, terrible. terrible. He's, a, he's a mean co-host when it comes to beer. Don't try to do beer. <laughs> People, people turn on you. Like, if you ever do a podcast, be aware that if you ask him to drink beer, like, it will go downhill real quick. I'll get real mean. So. He will. I'm, He's not afraid. I try to be Dr. Jekyll for the most part, but if uh, you try and feed me beer, I'll get to Edward Hyde real fast. He was Hyde for every sip of that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we're about to watch what may well be, and I can't quite decide, but it's, it's might be at the top of my horror, uh, hammer horror list. I love Curse of the Werewolf. Paul, Paul, Paul. Um, I gotta tell you, can I be honest before we cue this up? Uh oh. I, you know, I, here's the thing. You Uh let me read. Hear me out. Hear me out. You you let me read your hammer pieces that you put up on bloody disgusting and it, you know, in advance of them going up. And I remember you sending me a piece for the curse of the werewolf and I read it. And one, I it thought it was incredibly well-written. Uh, I'm not just being an ass kisser here. It was a great article, but as I was reading it, I remember thinking, man, I, I am not that big of a fan of this movie. Uh, but this article makes me want to revisit it. And Paul, I revisited it earlier today in advance of this chat. And I got to tell you, it's still lesser hammer for me. And okay. so I so I'm really excited to dive into this conversation because there's going to be a little conflict. There's going to be a lot of alcohol that can only lead to great places. Um but uh yeah, let's go ahead and dive in. So, folks, okay. if you are sitting at home, hopefully you have already made your reanimator readers. Now, Paul is going to go ahead and tell us what the drinking game rules are. Paul, what are we doing here? Okay. Um, so a couple things. Every time someone says wolf or werewolf, you have to drink. Um, and every, every time there's a shot of the moon, you have to take a drink. Um, and then this one's a little bit more nuanced, uh, but I just wanted to do it because this movie uses it a lot. Every time a person communicates with someone else with only their eyes, you have to take a drink. <laughs> oh, holy shit. Okay, so... Which? Okay, now... I You you are using what I imagine, uh, because I read the review, you are using the Scream Factory Special Collector's Edition of Curse of the Werewolf, right? Correct. Yes. I am using the Mill Creek Blu-ray Hammer Set, uh, which does not have subtitles. So what that means Ooh. is, is that every time I need to drink, you need I to tell me tell when to drink. Yeah, because I have subtitles, so I'm good. Okay. So that means I have to pay more attention to the movie than you do. Okay. Correct. That's, that's yes. interesting. And you have to trust me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. 
Um, okay, well, that's only for the wolf werewolf thing because shot of the moon and communicating with their eyes, you can tell. And then I have what I'm calling a final act rally drink rule, which is new for us. I'm instituting something new without consulting. <sighs> So in the last uh, 15, 20 minutes, um, when when uh, Oliver Reed fully wolves out, any time the wolf throws something. Oh, shit. <laughs> he's, he's like friggin' Donkey yeah. Kong in the last act. Well, and that's we got to make sure that we finish that last drink. So when we get to that point, you know, uh, that's but I'll remind you of that. So you don't have to remember it. I'll because you know, that only read it in me right now already. I'm telling you, you're gonna have to remind me. Okay. So so again, someone says wolf werewolf, with, which I will announce when that happens if I catch it. <laughs> uh, someone communicates only with their eyes, uh, and shot of the moon. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Okay, so everybody out there in listener land, let's go ahead and queue up our Blu-rays or DVDs or streaming uh, versions of this movie to the very first frame of the Universal International logo. All right, has everybody got that? Okay, so let's all press play together in five, four, three, two, one, and play. Alright, Universal International. Here we go. Curse of the Werewolf. Paul, I'm sorry. I don't care for this movie that much. Here's here's the thing. I say I don't care for it that much. What I really mean is it's a good movie in its own stead. But compared to all the other hammers that have come up until this point, this one is a little wanting for me. And I'm 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 curious to dive into that conversation and say, holy shit, there's a title. Curse of the Werewolf. Fuck, they're going Kubrick there. I mean, shit, that's that's the kind of title treatment to beat you over the head. Yeah. Already, oh, yeah. you can tell this movie is proud of itself. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Uh, it... How does somebody get billing over Oliver Reed, considering it's his movie? Oh, wait, I know. Oliver Reed doesn't show up until 47 minutes into the movie. Well, Oliver Reed wasn't a star yet. So this was his first, like, lead performance. Paul like, he, was, he wasn't famous. <laughs> Screenplay by John Elder. I just want to know where the hell Jimmy Sangster is in all this. So, and we can talk about that. I mean, I do you want to go into the big, like, why do I like this conversation? Or do you want to sort of ease into that? Um, Paul, Paul, I got a lot of margarita in me. I got to tell you, I don't care. Because there's a lot I could say about the movie. Because I, like you said, I wrote an article about this. So this is a movie I like heavily researched. <laughs> so unlike some of the other ones we've talked about, I, 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 and I'm the kind of person, I'll be honest with you, like part of what makes me love a movie, Spain. Oh, we Can should I probably mention Spain. this is based. So, Oh God, you are drunk. Okay. So this, this is based on Guy Edwards <laughs> novel, The Wolf of Paris, which Which technically takes place in London. I'm trying, you know what? I'm trying to actually, you know, Parrot, not London. Uh, uh, And uh, uh, I'm already messing it up. And basically, the screenplay was written as such as well. But um, what happened was Hammer prepped a movie called The Rape of Sabina, which was a Spanish Inquisition project. And the Catholic Church basically said, if you release this, we're going to denounce it and ban it in Spain. 
Um, and we're going to make a big deal about it and it's going to cost you, you know, a lot of money. So they're like, okay, we have to scrap Rape of Sabino. We can't make it. But they had already invested in some of the most expensive, elaborate sets, Spanish sets they'd ever made. So the producer was kind of like, okay, well, we have all these sets. Um, we have this script that keeps getting rejected by the uh, BBFC. So let's just change it to take place in Spain. They'll think it's a little bit more artistic that way. And we can use these really elaborate sets and still make this movie. So they just like changed a bunch of the names and rewrote it really quickly so they could use these sets. And that's why it uh, takes place in Spain. Also, the bells, the church bells at the beginning. I really like that it opens with church bells because it closes with church bells as well. So it's bookended that way. I think that's really poetic. Anything to add? <laughs> uh, not at all, Paul. Uh, not at all. Uh, I'm actually kind of caught up in watching the movie right now. I will say that the guy who walked down the steps there was kind of a dick. Uh, here's the thing, though. The Rape of Sabina, was that Hammer trying to break out of their mold at that point, do you think? Because that doesn't sound like the traditional Hammer horror or Hammer adventure or Hammer suspense film that they had attempted up until that point. And I'm wondering if getting slapped down for trying something different actually kind of made them feel as though they only could stick to the lanes that they knew at that point. Yeah, The Rape of Sabina was a lot more dramatic um, and, and a lot more about something um part of the reason the church forbade it wasn't just the rape element which is you know effed up but they didn't like that it was an indictment of catholic catholicism and the uh the institution of the church which is what that movie was you know it was kind of a um i don't know somebody who's sort of ousted for something that isn't their fault by a system that is designed that that claims to be designed to help people when all it really does is keep people down. Um, so I think there, I mean, there's, there's a whole story to be told just around the, that movie, <laughs> you know, before even getting into curse of the werewolf. Um, but man, this, this is a I'm, gorgeous way, talk about like, I, I know you're not a fan of the movie for, for some strange reason, but my God, is this one, this is one of the most beautiful lush hammer films. It is. I mean, it, is it has it's so many man. interesting sets, so many different, and it's such a sprawling film. Very few films cover as much ground as this one does and and really establishes why the, the word curse is in the title, right? Because this isn't just about one person. This is about a systemic issue that that runs through, that veins through all of their culture. See, right? because... I, and okay, and maybe that's part of the reason that I have an issue with the movie is the fact that I feel that those themes are set up really solidly in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And then they're not really paid off or wrestled with in a way that I completely found satisfactory. I love the idea that you have the guy walking into the, I mean, traditional hammer pub. And they set up the idea that, yeah, all the commoners are paying basically for the wealthy people to have their damn wedding, right? And they're not really getting oh. anything out of it. And as a result, it completely sort of like, you know, that marks their own sort of empathy to a guy who obviously needs help when he comes to them in an hour of need, right? You know, he's a beggar and they kind of shun him because they themselves have been preyed upon by rich people. So what does he do? He climbs the hill from the town all the way to the castle on the hill and he winds up getting mistreated and then treated as essentially a pet or an object or a toy by the wealthy or whatever. Now that is a great setup for a movie, but to me it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, you set up the idea of 
you know, I mean, some of, especially like some of Wes Craven, for whatever reason I'm flashing to, you have the idea of the uh, the sins of the father being revisited upon the, uh, you know, the next generation, the son, as it were. In this case, it almost feels like the sins of the wealthy are visited upon the poor, right? Because the curse that begins here, that you know, I would argue are created by the wealthy only hurt the people below them, right? So it seems like the movie is dealing with class in a bit of a way. And yet, again, you know, other than the big rampage at the end of the movie, I don't really feel like the bulk of the movie has much interest in those themes that it sets up so solidly in the first act. If you even want to call it an act, because here's another thing too, an issue that I have with the movie. We were talking about like hammer screenplay structure last week with the Brides of Dracula, right? Holy shit. I'm a motor mouth right now. I apologize, Paul. You are, you're talking fast, but the (laughs) thing is, it's like, you know, we, we didn't even give Van Helsing until like 32 minutes into the movie, right? Well, here we have a movie where our hero, you know, literally the titular character does not appear until over halfway into the movie, it has the longest prologue, and I would argue an unnecessarily long prologue to set everything up that ultimately winds up happening in the back half. I think if you rejigger a lot of those acts and the movie becomes a lot more dynamic and maybe moves a bit better, as it is, I think it's a bit of a slog until you get to the final 20-25 minutes. Deep breath. A lot, of, a lot of people would see it that way. I don't know. I, I just love the journey. I love that it jumps from character to character. And arguably, your argument that Oliver Reed doesn't show up till halfway through the movie is true, but his character shows up before that. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. His character so shows up like really, 32 minutes. Thinking in. about it as he, a he character, Van Helsing. <laughs> he is in the movie, and his story is told well before you see Oliver Reed. So, I mean, if you're waiting for it as an Oliver Reed vehicle, which, again, this movie wasn't designed to be an Oliver Reed vehicle. He was just the guy who played the man who had become the werewolf. And, again, this was the first – this was a chance. They took a chance on Oliver Reed. I mean, yes, he became who he became, but but nobody knew him as that yet. So this wasn't like, oh, this is an Oliver Reed vehicle. I also like that... I um, I don't need it to be an Oliver Reed vehicle, but the thing is, is like when you call a movie The Curse of the Werewolf, you expect for the werewolf to take center stage, not the curse. So I I find that really fascinating. I don't know. I like... Because this isn't about a werewolf. This is about the curse that creates one. Um, And and it's about the carnality of man, which lies dormant in all of us, right? Like that's kind of what this movie is about, because... The beggar himself essentially becomes not a werewolf, but a werewolf. You know, he becomes monstrous. He becomes hairy. His nails are overgrown, like over the years that he's forgotten in the dungeon, like he's a monster. And when he preys upon, you know, um, the the mute woman down there, um, which we're jumping ahead a bit, uh, that's sort of him infecting her as a werewolf. You know, and that's the the curse is is beginning and the curse is one of society. It's one of mankind. Yes, it trickles down to the poor. Is that fair? No, but that's what happens. Right. The sins of the rich affect the poor um, and make their lives worse and ultimately create monsters of them, you know, because they're in positions where they potentially don't get the help they need or the support they need. And that's because of poor decisions made from those in a place of power and privilege. So I, I think there's a lot. I think this movie has so much to say. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I really like it is I, I find there's a lot of rewatch value. I, th- I think it, it grows in my estimation every time I watch it. 
Um, and I and I think it's really varied. I think it's dynamic. You know, I kind of like that I'm not just watching the same people the whole movie. I like that every 20 minutes or so it's a new cast um, because it makes it feel more sprawling and epic in some ways. And see, I can't argue with a bit of that. It's just that the movie doesn't strike me in the same way. Um, I do love the idea that it feels like sprawling to you simply because, like, I... I think there are far too few horror movies that feel sprawling, you know, by their nature, it seems like, you know, horror movies have to be somewhat limited. You know, how many, I wonder what percentage of horror movies ever made took place in relatively limited locations, you know, with a small set of characters, whereas, you know, and maybe we talked about this before, but I, I love the idea of a movie that could terrify you or could get under your skin, but also feels like a big sweeping epic. And we don't have many of those. I mean, the closest that I can think is, <laughs> isn't even arguably a horror film with capital H, even though I would argue that it is a horror movie, but Apocalypse Now feels like sure. the closest thing to something that I want out of a big sweeping epic, sprawling horror movie, you know? But have we ever gotten anything close to that? Eh, I can't really think of one. I mean, there's you see, like a big epic sprawling horror film. Maybe not like big but i you know i think filmmakers like del toro guillermo del toro kind of makes like epic you know i think when i think of um he, he makes expensive like meals pretty sprawling and epic and hammer-esque but it, but it's, it's but it's one location for the bulk of the movie you know it's yeah. a haunted house movie it's a haunted house movie with one yeah, hell of a budget and act, one hell of an art is it in the house the first 30 but it's minutes. still like it's it's about as big as a hammer movie. Like no, you, you spend some time I, in a village like and then you spend some time Well, and you still spend time with the characters at the same age. Like I can't think of many other movies that span a lifetime like this movie does. You know, like like we start before the guy's born and we finish when he's, you know, a young man. Like that's that's a long timeline. I can't think of many other hammer horror films or horror films in general that kind of like go throughout all that and tell this big kind of story in that same way. Um, I also love the marquee in this movie, his, his just his insanity and his cruelty. He's he, he was in a bunch of classic hammer dungeon and we didn't call it out, but hammer pub, we saw a hammer pub earlier. Hey, I mentioned the hammer pub. Did you mention the hammer pub? Come I'm on, sorry. man. I'm, I should have trusted you. Well, I got to tell you, I'm I'm getting kind of thirsty here. Have we had even the first uh, necessary drink here? What's what's going on? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. She's sort of communicating with them with her eyes because she can't talk. You know what? Good enough for me, man. I'm taking a drink. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right totally. Yeah. Oh, there too. Oh, oh and the, the wink, the blink. Yeah, that is that is creepy. See, but I'm gonna well, celebrate anyway. My drink girls on purpose it feels light at first but it gets fucking heavy man i'm sorry <laughs> like by you, the end of the movie are you saying that my reliance on stairs as a drinking game rule is uh is weak it's a little uh i thought it was interesting well i could have done rooms but i thought it'd be interesting to change it up i thought it'd be fun okay. holy shit here's a brady bunch dream sequence coming up oh maybe not passage of time she's still wearing the same yeah. dress Oh, not all of it. <laughs> Sorry. It, yeah, she needs a bigger dress. Um, she's really good in this, by the way. Like, her performance is really impressive. 
Um, by the way, she's every scene here. She communicates with her eyes because they're friends. Well, they were friends until he does what he does. So yeah, I think it's more of one side of that friendship. Well, she smiled when she was a kid. Yvonne Romaine, by the way, is her name. And he's so creepy. This transfer is gorgeous. He looks like a freaking wolf, man. Doesn't he? He looks like a werewolf. Look at his arms. Like, what the hell? Does that just happen when, you know, I I feel like I've never shaved my arm hair. So, you know, I. The way she moves her mouth, she's, she's communicating with him. So, drink. Damn it. And it's about to get worse because she's going to do the same thing with the the marquee. I'm going to have to make some more margaritas here, Paul. I, and you just complained that you were thirsty. <laughs> I I'm no, I'm just complaining. I'm I'm complaining on behalf of later me who is uh, choking on margarita at that point. Uh, so okay. that okay. I'm looking out. I'm looking out for future jinx. <laughs> I also like the juxtaposition between the desire that the sort of monstrous beggar has for her. So like the poor and then the Marquis, who's this also sort of monstrous figure, but in a different way, but they're both sort of locked up and confined. Um, and they both lust after this girl who's a complete innocent. Well, it's still, it's still the man above the man below, you know, the man below is obviously poor and he has nothing. And the man above is in this nice room and he has whatever he needs brought to him. Um, in some cases, as we'll see later on, even women. Uh, but yeah, they're both prisoners. You know, they're still in the same castle, and they're still kind of confined in their own way. Yeah, and they and they don't view her as like her agency exists insofar as she's willing to attempt to push the boundaries of her confinement. And I I really think it's interesting that from that. You know, our protagonist is born. Um, so he's sort of Jacob Marley looking motherfucker. Give him a yes. couple of chains oh, yeah. and yeah. he is ready like to haunt a Scrooge. Like he's he's fucking like he looks like he's decaying. Like like a decaying corpse. And I like that the people who talk to him are sort of like afraid of him. Like they don't want to even approach him. <laughs> well, of course they don't. Jesus, it looks like if you touch him, you're gonna catch something. Yeah. Well. You very well may. Uh, the uh, the BBFC, so the uh, British Board Film Commission, or the yeah, the film classification. This was the movie they decided to sort of like take a stand against Hammer, which I think is really interesting too. Like they were so pissed off at Hammer for all the movies they were doing, and then they took so much shit for like releasing like Psycho and Peeping Tom and the public was starting, there's this big outcry and they completely changed like the leadership on the board. And they basically told hammer when they submitted the script, if you make this movie, we will not allow you to release it. And hammer just kind of went ahead and made it. And when it came time, uh, they just made them chop it up. And the actual print that was released had, Oh yeah, that's fucked up. Had almost none of the action or the, the horror and the violence in it. And they basically said, you can either have sexuality or violence, but not both. <laughs> what? The, which, I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, it's fucked up. It's stupid. I mean, for the story that they're telling, obviously, right, like, so but you know, at the, 
between eyes right now? A lot of communicating with eyes. <laughs> okay, but it's it's all the one scene, so I'm taking one drink. I'm not that thirsty anymore, Paul. It's fine. Oh, and, and I love the too. like it. It is you know I'm sure it's by virtue of the time and the censors and whatnot, but it is nice that we have a movie that has that unfortunate you know event that isn't lingered upon or shown at length. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean it. It's at the time that was still considered to be like lewd and completely unreasonable but i'm i am glad as well that it's a scene that you can sort of watch and not have to to sort of dwell on in that way um, in a weird it, way though it almost becomes unfortunate i don't know if it makes it more disturbing or at least as disturbing though but in a weird way the fact that we don't see anything but we cut to her and her state afterwards and like the claw marks and everything like yeah. it, it's still pretty damn disturbing She's kind of trying to communicate with her eyes. <laughs> she can't. Aww. Oh, here we go. Yeah, there we go. That's, um... Oh, God, look at him. And the makeup work on him is great. I mean, obviously it this is, was... except uh... for the eyes. He's got, like, Batman eyes. He's yeah, got well, emo kid ready to go to a rave eyes. This was a uh, Roy Ashton, who was a frequent Hammer um, makeup effects artist. He actually worked on most of the the big movies, most of the major monsters, but he considered this movie his opus. The werewolf, particularly, obviously. The werewolf is great. And he did a ton of research. He studied live wolves. We'll talk about that later. But what kind uh, he of did this make- goth Christmas tree thing does she have in her hand? I actually really this kill is a pretty brutal kill, pretty bloody kill even for Hammer at that time. Yeah, they hadn't really done. I mean, they'd done suspense movies pretty, certainly, but that's a slasher movie. Kill, that, right? Yeah, I was going to say that's a pretty brutal kill for Hammer, um, and that raised a lot of eyebrows as well when it came to the the censor. This scene um, is very, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, when he finds her, Corlato finds her, like, lying in the river. It very much reminds me of when they find Mary in Last House on the Left. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one decent male figure we've had up until this point. Yeah. Like, very, very reminiscent of that. I don't know if I know Craven was specifically referencing Virgin Spring, of course, but like I always wondered, like if that was a bit of an influence. But um, oh no, yeah, this guy's awesome. <laughs> I mean, he's the he's the Claude Rains of the piece. Yeah. Well, and you need him. You need sort of a true soul, um, to show that there's there's something worth fighting for right um well and this was terence fisher's even at the end of his career he talked about how this was his most personal film and it was his favorite film that he made like he loves it and i find that really interesting because it's it's he saw it as a generational saga of transferred evil And see, I love that idea. I don't know that it's personally, again, but I don't know if it's borne out by the movie that I'm watching. 
Sure. I mean, I I hear you. I I hear you. It's it's one of those things. Like everyone's going to have kind of a different experience with it, but I it it, it works for me. I I really I I I see how it sort of manifests itself and permeates their world in a in a meaningful way. And I like that it's less, I don't know, I really like that it's less about becoming a werewolf and more about pain, the the sticking power of pain and how it sort of evolves and devolves into something really dangerous um, that is sort of uncontrollable by the mind. So can I ask, what is your feeling? We we have a setup here. We have the idea that a child born on Christmas Day could be... Oh, oh yeah. yeah we should but, you know, yeah, but the movie, it seems like... Yeah, I, one, I would love to, and I never have, I would love to look up that mythology and find out if that's actually a thing, because that seems oh, so I random. Can, I can comment on that. Please. Um, so have you ever heard of Montague Summers? No. So he was... Uh, a priest um, at the, I guess it, w- it would have been in the early, like late 1800s, early 1900s, that became obsessed with the occult. And he traveled the world collecting information on different things. And he wrote books. And he wrote like a book on vampires. And he wrote a book on like, I think he wrote a book on like werewolves and stuff like that. And he collected all this mythology from all these different cultures to try to come up with, like, what it actually is. And I own and read his his book called Vampire of Kith and Kin. And it was written <laughs> in the early 1900s. And let me tell you, Jenks, it's one of the most terrifying fucking books you'll ever read. Because it's what? literally, like, his actual account of what he... I actually had a screenplay I wrote a long time ago that's not very good about him. I was like, oh, I should make, I should write a screenplay about him writing this book. That could be cool, and well, like make if you, it. If you sent me your screenplay, um, I would read it. It's not, it's not good, so I'm not going to send it. But uh, uh, either way, um, anyway, in that book, he talks a lot about the Christmas mythology, which is real, totally real, and some of this shit's terrifying. But um, in certain cultures, a long time ago, if a child was born on Christmas Day. They would, and I mean, some of this stuff's super dark, Jinx. So, like, they would literally, like, lock up these children till they were a certain age, and then they would kill them. Because they were so certain that they were going to be evil. What the fuck? Yeah, there are cult, and this is legitimate, like, stuff. Like, and there were a lot of beliefs. I mean, there's beliefs that, um, actually, one of the original vampire beliefs was that if a person's in a coffin and a black cat jumps over the body, they will rise up and become a vampire. Who? Here's that the thing. I want to know who the dude is who comes up with this shit. He just spouts out this nonsense, and other people are like, shit. yeah, that sounds reasonable. Well, well yeah, but the, the Christmas Day thing was because it's an affront to the birth of the Lord. Was Well, in the belief of that, right? Like, So it's like, oh, well, that's Jesus' birthday. You're not allowed to be born on that day. Um. So it was sort of like the the anti of that person. 
a cursed spirit or a spirit that has been cast away from God because God is unhappy that that spirit tried to take the glory of that day, basically. So it's been turned away from God. So now it's a cursed spirit. Um, And as this movie explains, eventually, you know, if the soul is already weak, meaning it was an unwanted soul, like it was born of rape, for example, or it came from some sort of really negative experience, it's going to be more likely to be infected by something malicious that is an outside demonic force. Um, that and is I don't, genuinely screwed up. Well, and I don't know if you... Re- like, Terrence Fisher was an incredibly religious man. Like, very devout. So this movie was literally him, like, exploring that fact. Like, he was like... he. A part of me wonders if he didn't believe some of this stuff. Maybe not directly, but he believed in demonic forces he believed in demons he believed in angels he believed in all this stuff and i think he was trying to explore the capabilities of man and the goodness of man um and see what you know what's worth fighting for and can certain things be fought for and i think a lot of it's manifested obviously in don corledo like this scene right here is is a great example where he's excited about the baby being born but then he hears a wolf howl and for a moment in his eyes, you can kind of see it. He's like, oh, God, like, no, no, never mind. Like, but the the, the performance there is so nuanced because he's kind of like, am I wrong? Like, is there evil there? No, no. Like, he's he's convincing himself that I couldn't. Pop- By the way, he kind of communicated with us with his eyes. So I think we should drink. So I'm going to go ahead and drink. All right. I'm thirsty again. But Paul. I, you know, one of my favorite werewolf movies is the original Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. And I love the idea that his curse comes about through him trying to be a good man, you know, and that's what damns him. But at least it was his choice, right? This movie seems to be saying that, you know, it, it fully buys into the idea of fate. Like, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Now, I think that kind of plays into like the the classism that was set up in the first act. I mean, you know, the idea that you are simply born into a station that you cannot escape, no matter what. But I, I don't know. It, 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 it that idea bugs me, and I I can't. Do you think that Terrence Fisher? <laughs> You said that he probably, you know, was wrestling with him buying into the stuff, you know, as far as like the the background of the curse itself. Do you think he actually believed that <clears throat> this notion that there is no escaping one's fate, there's no escaping oh, one's station in life? Well, I and I just want to comment really quickly on this scene because I love this scene where they're in the church and they're having him baptized and they're trying to ignore the negatives like the boiling holy water. And they just have to sort of accept it. Like, this is what we're getting into. There's no denying. And then they see that demonic face. And at first, you almost think it's like coming from the water. And then his relief that, no, it's just a statue. We're just overthinking this. And honestly, why is that statue in a church, Paul? That's a great question. Why is any of the... uh, I don't want to get to talk about churches, uh, but uh, there's a lot of stuff in churches that probably should be in there. Um, but I, I think it's I, I think it's really impressive how they talk about like the 
the power, like the, the sticking power of love and how that can kind of will out. Um, but like, like we were talking about earlier with, with Terrence Fisher, again, I think he sees it as transferred from former generations. I think there are lots of people who sort of inherit bad traits or bad situations or trauma from their families and and whether they they deserve it or not, it's there and they have to deal with it. Um, And sometimes that quote unquote curses them. Now, is that escapable? I think it, I think in real life it is um, obviously, but sometimes for certain people it may not be. And that's sort of the sad truth. You know, I think that's what Terrence Fisher's wrestling with. You know, do I think that like, we're all beholden to fate and there's no point in fighting. Like, of course not. Yeah. But I think it's an interesting thing to watch a filmmaker and artist wrestle with in this movie. Um, and I don't necessarily think that the message of the film is that we shouldn't even try because I think a lot of good is accomplished in this film for all of the the bad, but it is a tragedy. Name, you know, uh, Paul, I'm gonna, I'm, you're gonna need to help me out here because I am drunk. Name one good thing. Well, he has someone that loves him put him down. He's not, that's, he's that's not put down thing. by an angry mob. I think that's a good. I think that's in the in the great. I think that is soul saving in the context of the film. Because in the greater context of the film, the real tragedy is that the that that his soul is damned. But I think by being put down purely by someone who loves him, it saves his soul. I think his soul is saved. I don't get that at all, and I wish I did, because what I get is that that guy's entire life was hopeless. And it was borne out by the events that in the movie. And then on top of that, we have a man who is good. We we have a man who is good, who is now like, you know, tell me, what does that guy's life look like after he shot his son? Like, tell me that guy doesn't live out the rest of his days broken and his soul just in. in, in, I think this, I think it just speaks to sort of like. You know, and and kind of like what we were talking about with the den earlier, right? Like, it there there's certain I don't know. Like, I'm able to watch things like that and find the good sometimes. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, what what good did you find in the den? Well, no, I just enjoyed it. I didn't think it was good, <laughs> but I I just mean like I can watch it and sort you know of like not, I can watch it and cool. not feel like oh everything's hopeless. <laughs> I can just watch it and go oh that was a fun silly horror movie like okay, whatever no 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 i but refuse like, to believe that you found the den to simply be a fun horror movie i i kind of did <laughs> i was even though, even though, okay spoiler I, alert for people oh. who haven't seen a six-year-old movie paul she takes a no. bullet to the head come on yeah. sure it's a movie or shit like that happens in horror movies all the time all the time yeah. there's a million horror movies that you love they have have unhappy endings. It's, no, 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 no. But but there's a difference between the hell like has an unhappy yeah. ending. Like I, I, I would disagree. Know. I would say Christine kind of had it coming. That's oh, just me. God. 
Here's what I'll say. I, I, like I said, I can't. I don't know. I'm just telling you how I think about these things. I, I certain movies do bother me. Okay. Like yes, it hap- yes or no? Yes or no? Is the Curse of the Werewolf a tragedy? Absolutely. Is therefore it, is, is the ending not tragic? Yes, it is. Okay, tragic. so is a tragic ending not sad to you? It is sad. Okay, Absolutely so sad. is a sad ending not something that makes you feel like the characters who exist in that world who say had to shoot their son, you know, they I are essentially going to care with for the rest of his life. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just don't understand why that makes the movie bad. Like, why is that bad? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying bad. This is I'm beyond bad at this point. And here's the thing. I would never call this movie bad. I simply said it's lesser hammer for me. I didn't We've say missed it was a lot of mentions of wolves, by the way. Like, we do. We're, we're going to. I know for a fact we'll that have the, the hunter guy talked about wolves a lot. So we got to drink like several drinks. Okay. But all I'm saying is this isn't a matter of bad. I'm just saying I can't find any light in that ending. Like there's when I get to the end, of I can find light. The wolf I, the, I, I, I do think I man, can see. I see a heroic man at the end of the wolf man who did his best to fight his curse and ultimately was freed of it. There's a redemptive arc there. When right. I get to the end of this movie, I see a guy who was as pinned down as his biological father was and met the exact same end. There is no growth. There is no redemptive arc. It is basically the, the sun never shines in this world. And, you know, which is fine if that's the point the movie is trying to make. But, you know, my, my point earlier was just that I, I don't see it as kind of like this 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 release at the end. I think it's all dour. I think it's all downbeat. I think it's all grim as hell. And that there is no real redemption uh, to be found in this film. Hmm. How many how many drinks yeah, are we going to have? I, I don't know, like uh, several. Five? <laughs> Will five do it? I I think that for Fisher, I mean, it's e- like I said, he said it's easily his most personal film. It's very rich. It's incredibly Christian in his eyes. Um, and he saw this movie like he's talked about this as a film about love. It's about the sacrifice of what Don Alfredo is willing to do for the love of his son. His son needs love. He needs it to defeat the curse. Only someone that loves him, only someone that cares about him can defeat him. That's said, the priest says that. And you, I think do you feel the that evil was defeated that, in this movie. Yes. I think See, that's the point. I, and the corruption no, I of don't, the and here's what is is he the soul is saved like that 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 is evil itself can't exist in the again in the context of this film evil itself can't exist without latching onto love because love is where the real power lies right and so that's why it goes to a damaged soul because souls inherently embody love and in the end, the only way that soul can be put to rest or put at peace is if someone that loves it does so and sacrifices that sort of like pain it will cost to actually put it to bed. And like this scene is so 
freaking powerful to me. Like, little boy. And wh- also, how cool is it that guy, little kid that looks that much like Oliver Reed? <laughs> this is a recording at all. Oh, there he is. Paul, are you still there? Yeah. Did, did hey, you not hear me? Hey, at home. It says he is... Paul, you you dropped out for about oh, 40 seconds. No. I I'm said sorry. a lot of things. I'll bet you did. I, you know what? Okay, I'm recording, tell you what, tell you I am what, recording I on... I'm recording on my end, so okay. I could send you my recording of myself. We, we, we can do that. Are we even recording on my? Yes, we are. Thank God. Okay, so uh, I am going to let you repeat all that because I have to go make more uh, reanimator readers. I am just going to say, and I'll leave you with one thought before I let you go to Bash Dexter. All I'm going to say is, is that to me, it feels like this, and I get what you're saying about love, but if love's only uh, uh, service in this movie is to kill, then that is genuinely fucked up. And to me, the curse of the title isn't undone in the final moments. It is served in the final moments. And that just, on a certain level, that bugs the shit out of me. Um, but is it, anyway. not, is it not over? Is the curse not over at that point? The like, cur- I, there's no I more werewolves. Paul, I think when and this is this is going to be way too uh, timely here or whatever, considering the fact that we're in a pandemic. But I think when a virus kills somebody, yeah, it might be done, but it also did what it wanted to do. I don't think so. In the in the course of this film, I think the curse's point was to exist and wreak havoc, and it can't do that anymore because the 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 curse itself wouldn't have killed him; it would have kept him alive forever. Eh, I, I don't know, sir. I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself on mute here. I'm gonna make some more reanimator readers so y'all don't have to hear me blending. Is, uh, Paul, you know what though? I gotta say, I want to commend ourselves. We are actually like commentating on this movie. This is this is like this is this, <laughs> this is, is two like, faces of Doctor Jekyll this level really podcast. And I kind of like that we don't agree because it's creating some really good conversation. You know, so hey, that's uh, that's that's the basis it. of all great drama, man. Conflict. Hey man, so, uh, I still I I wish respect this you, had it. and I think you're. I I, I I like your opinion. I think it, it makes sense. What you're saying makes sense. I, I like hearing it. It's just I'm not. You know, I just had a different takeaway. That's all. Go make your drink. I hear it. Putting uh, myself on mute, Paul. I am passing the mic to you. The uh, floor shit. is yours for about two minutes. Ooh, and a really good scene. Okay. Um. So this is the scene I was kind of also, talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm popping back in here. I'm just asking, could you please keep a track of the number of drinks I'm going to have to take when I get back? Be honest. Listeners out there, keep keep uh, keep all honest, please. Thank you. All right. I'm going to really try. I, I'm going to say that's eye communication. Um, but, okay, so this is the scene where the priest pretty much says all of the things I just said. So I apologize for the spoiler. Although I would hope that anyone watching this has probably already seen it. Um, and I really like scenes like this. This is a very hammer thing. Oh, Wolf. He said Wolf. Um, where two characters sort of, and Wolf again, have a conversation explicitly, t- Wolf again, Jesus, explicitly telling you sort of what to think and what to feel, um, and what the gist of the film is. But this is also kind of the thesis statement of the film. And I would argue one of the most meaningful scenes in Terrence Fisher's career, um, because it's about the nature of the soul. And what I was trying to say to Jinx is that, you know, yes, this movie is obviously a tragedy. I don't think it's a happy ending. I don't think it's great that the guy has to shoot his son, but this is the scene 
where Don Carlato has to accept that what he's taking on here is a cursed soul, a soul that is forever going to be burdened with um, that curse. And when he says only love, when the cure is sort of discussed, only love can cure it. I think he, he talks about meeting a woman. I think that's suggesting that it can sort of make the soul strong enough to overcome the curse that's bound to him. But it also suggests that the, that pure love is the only thing that, that can bring someone to do what needs to be done. Um, and that's why I believe that the end of this film sort of suggests that he's freed as opposed to, uh, uh, as, as Jinx would have it maybe put down in, in an unceremonious way. Again, we're back in a hammer pub, which I love that we get so much of that in this movie, the better hammer pubs. And of course we have a hammer lush, uh, a walk on character. Who's just completely hammered, hammered. Hey, nice. Um, well, I, I that is one that is a terrible pun. Two, I've been listening for the last minute and a half. I can't believe the amount of shit you talked about me. Yeah. Well, you know, you you gotta go back and listen. Hey, to, not to for I nothing. Have, drink five have minutes, you? Uh, by the way, there was a lot of wolf talk. Have you? Have you? Have you tried standing and walking around recently? Because I gotta tell I, you, sir, I, it, I, it, it is really it is a blast. You should do that. All right, I'm taking um, five drinks. You should get up and just do do a couple of twirls, man. Just see what it's like. Well, I, have to, have fun. I have to pour myself another drink, so maybe you should talk for a little bit. Oh, bars on the windows. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, I'm supposed to talk now? Okay. Yeah. Uh, wait, are you, are, I, you, are, I, you, are you hopping I'm off mic? I just, no, I just I have to pour a drink, so I'm going to be busy. And I, I feel like I should mute because otherwise you're going to hear a lot of, like, clinking. And I want to make sure the listening experience is, um, you know, top notch. Fair. Uh, see, I feel, like you're, I feel like I feel like you're saying the listening experience isn't going to be top notch because I'm going to be the only one on the mic. That's kind of hurtful. Well, I mean, you you have more podcasting experience than me, and I, you, you're better than I am at this. So I I think it's going to be fine. See that you, that seems that seems disingenuous. I'm starting to think I need a new co-host. I you, you say that a lot, and that's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> I I would not blame you if if, no, if next week you're like, hey, no, by the way, uh, got a new co-host. Uh, but it's been really fun. Thanks, Paul. Um, Paul, I'd like you to meet Samara. Uh, she's replacing you. I hope you understand. Um, you know what? I would. I would understand. <laughs> I well, I would I would let her take my place. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, Can I? Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm going to email her and see if she wants to do a scream addicts. That's what I'm going to do. Holy shit, Paul! If you can get her on the show, I will. I yeah, I, I will. Weaving. <laughs> I will. I will sing songs of you, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm going to mute it. Did you drop something? It sounded oh, like you dropped. Okay, uh, it sounded like you dropped it. Whatever the hell okay. it was. Okay, so nice. it's just going to be me. Yep, just you. Okay. So, 
audiences, how are you doing out there? I hope you're kind of as tipsy as we are. That'd be grand. Uh, I can't imagine listening to this podcast sober, but if you are, hey, more power to you, and we appreciate the listen. I have no idea what Paul's been talking to you about. If I'm being honest, I've had enough to drink. I don't even know what the hell's happening on screen. I just know that we have not been introduced to our leading man yet, which, regardless of what Paul says, I think is kind of fucked up. So I, I, I think I did a count earlier where Oliver Reed doesn't come into the uh, the story until 47 minutes in. Now, I understand what Paul's saying, how this is a generational story and how, yeah, sure, we're introduced to the character as a young man, like 32 minutes in. Sure, I get it. But nevertheless, it fails to excite me as a viewer. In fact, it only serves to appear to be kind of a disjointed story to me and one that, you know... We have – tell me you haven't watched the original Universal Wolfman or any of its sequels or even some of the later werewolf movies where you didn't feel a great deal of sympathy for the lead characters. You empathize with them. You you follow over their shoulders. You feel bad when they meet their inevitable tragic fates, whether it be The Howling or An American Werewolf in London or Ginger Snaps or The Wolfman or The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro. You know what? I like that movie even though a lot of people don't. I think it's pretty great. But – in this one, I gotta say, I don't give a shit about the lead character because the movie doesn't seem to give a shit about the lead character. It goes back to what I was talking to Paul about earlier. The movie se- <laughs> it doesn't give you a shit about the lead character. When you, you see his father you, like rubbing his sick face, like I completely disagree. You weren't gone long enough. Is what's happening here? That's unfair. all right. I'll, I'll mute unfair. again. You continue. They don't give a shit. No, no, no. Character. Don't, no. Don't, you, don't, don't, you, don't you dare go away, Paul. But okay. all I'm saying is, is, oh look, our hero. Forty-seven minutes in. That's we nice. Just, That's nice of him to, nice of him to make an appearance as a child. What oh, are you talking about? They have gray hair now. They have gray hair now. That means they're older. Okay, so no. What I'm saying is, <laughs> is that we are not allowed to get to know our leading man or our leading character long enough for the tragedy in this tragedy to actually have the weight that it should instead like it feels yeah it's a grim ending but it's grim only by virtue of the fact that the curse feels inevitable not because i feel bad that this guy died because i don't know who the hell he is he he seems nice it sucks what happens to him but beyond that, I got nothing for him. You can't tell me that this is... I don't care if we knew him as a kid or not. You can't tell me that this dude is as well-rounded as uh, Lawrence Talbot. You just can't. You know what I like about him? <laughs> can, I tell you, can I tell you what I like? I feel like you're going I, to anyway. I, I'm going to. Um, <laughs> I like that he's a man of few words. And is very communicative with his facial expressions, which will make us drink. But I I like that that sort of is a nod to his mother in a way. I think that's kind of interesting, even though he never knew her. That even though he can speak and he's not mute in the same way that she is, he's still very expressive. And he's very thoughtful. Um, and he's very observant. I think it says a lot about his character that he, you know doesn't have the same sort of tendencies that a lot of the other characters around him have, which are more like broadly drawn, especially his roommate. 
Um, and I find that sort of fascinating, especially given that he's like the one who's going to become the werewolf, you know, like, which is this more like monstrous sort of overt kind of thing kind of flies in the face of the type of personality that he has. Paul, I think all that sounds great. And I respect you, your opinion. You just, yeah, you don't. I'm not, no, 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 here's the thing. I, if, here, here, no, and you know this is the truth. You know, Paul, bullshit. No, you, you know that I would not have you on this podcast uh, if I did not respect your opinion. I respect your opinion. What I'm saying is, is that in seven, six, seven, whatever the hell, however many episodes we've done, this is the one time that you and I have kind of fully diverged. And what I'm saying is, is that is okay because I I see, tell me I'm wrong about this. I see what you're saying and I respect what you're saying. I simply disagree. Sure. And I, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Because what you, your arguments make sense. Look, I get it. It, it pacing wise, like I could see an argument for the pacing of this film to not. I mean, I can totally understand why this film didn't really stick in the way that the other movies did. However, it has been sort of reappraised. A lot of people now do really like it. Name one. Um, <laughs> that seems critically <laughs> online. I don't know. Me, Paul Farrell. <laughs> When it, when it got re-released in the 90s. John Thompson in Maryland is a huge fan of this film. I call it bullshit. I think there's no such well, person. Why don't you go look up John Thompson? I if you think I made him up. George Glass, he lives in Canada. I, I uh, can't be busy texting somebody. He's I, dating Jan Brady. I I don't think he is, and I'm sorry, I'm swimmy headed and through no fault of my own, I've wound up texting somebody that I used to be in love with. So that makes this commentary. Jesus. What? I did, During this I, podcast? Yes. I didn't even my realize it was going to happen. I'm not this anymore. Is, this is post-podcast stuff, man. It, it We're is, not there yet. It is. Uh, no, no. I think our <laughs> viewers up until this point would probably agree that the 45 to 50 minute mark is when Jinx starts to get too real. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I will say we've done a really good job. Like, <laughs> like a lot of our podcasts. We, a lot of our podcasts, us like really trying to justify what we're doing. Right? We're constantly like, we're doing really good, guys. We actually talked about the movie. Like, you should be really impressed with us. So now it's okay that we don't talk about the movie anymore. Exactly. I feel like if we give our listening audience a good 45 minutes of commentary, then we can just go ape shit in the last half. And that's. That is the kind of structure that I am willing to follow. By the way, I feel like we should have taken a drink by now. Are you keeping track of this I shit? I just told you, like, two drinks. And no, I'm not keeping as much track as I should. Two drinks? But, like, so I'm taking some beers. So you just there. And okay. there was, um, uh, oh, I had a, a thing, but now I forgot it. By the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, it's worth noting that I'm no longer in love with this person. They're merely a good friend. Oh, um, but they, you know, it was a weird thing where we were really good friends for a long time, and then I was kind of in love with them. Yeah. Uh, but we're just good friends again. But nevertheless, when I get drunk and they're texting me, like things come out. Uh, you know, you can't text somebody AMA and not expect for things to go a little wonky. 
I love that you're doing an AMA. Wow. <laughs> that that speaks a lot to all, our, our what I, this is. Am, it's fine. I'm, it's fine. I'm a multitasker. <laughs> you you I'm are a multitasker. Not... You're content to just look at this motherfucker over here with his little hole in his shirt <laughs> scratching his belly. You know, this I'm that dude. I, in real you, life, you I'm, really are. Let's see right as now. Much as I would like to be Oliver Reed, <laughs> oh, I'm not I'm, Oliver Reed. I'm so Oliver Reed's guy. best pal. Oliver Reed is a very handsome man. All right. Yeah, fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. You're I am you're the, just... No, no, I like Oliver Reed. Can, I, can I say, uh, uh, anyone, I, I want to recommend real quick the uh, Curse of the Werewolf Blu-ray through... Uh, uh, Scream Factory. Um, it, it has some great stuff, but one of the most entertaining things on it is there's a special feature with Catherine Feller who plays Christina, and like now, like doing an interview, and she is hilarious. She's she is just like a larger than life persona who like feels like she's as drunk as we are on that that interview and she's just like oh whenever my whenever we have people over my husband puts on this film is like look how hot my wife was and like that's the kind of story <laughs> she, and it's so entertaining in but, in in all fairness she was really hot um well, yeah. i don't know paul like like watching this we we've we've gotten to like the 50 minute mark i think uh because uh oh, fucking sorry. oliver reed finally showed up uh, so I gotta ask, you know, this, this is a part where we try and get like a little drunk and a little over Sherry. Uh, you know, I've already told you I've, I've, I've been, uh, are you not drunk yet? Uh, no, I'm there, Paul. Um, no, I'm here's the thing. Worried, I, I got worried to drink again. So hold on. Let me I've, find a reason to make No, it. no, uh, I'm, I'm swimmy headed well, and my well, tummy is warm. He's so, looking yes. at her right now. That's, that's communication with the eyes. Oh, and you look scared when you look at that's a communication so with his lips, Paul. And can I ask something? Did people not know how to kiss back in the day? Because I swear, any movie pre-1970, it looks like everybody is a terrible kisser. It's Well, it's theatrical kissing. That do, was, they not, was... do they not know they have tongues? Have you ever, like, held a person's chin so they'd look at you? <laughs> Never. That's... Not I just once. did. I was like, man, I feel like any person you ever did that to would be not pleased with you. It feels a little, um, yeah, a little condescending. 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 I said condescending. That's I said condescending too. Oh my god! Oh look, look at us on the same page, not disagreeing. <laughs> okay, it's been so weird disagreeing with you. I know. I don't like. it. <laughs> Can, can I don't like it either, but I feel like it will be a more interesting listen in some ways. Maybe I don't know. Maybe not listeners, uh, but you know, it, it's still damaging the friendship. Come on, let's 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 virtual oh, nothing. Across the, across the mics, ready, ready in three, two, one, and hug. Okay, I feel we're good now. All right, no, but here's the thing: we've we've gotten to the point where we uh, we overshare. <laughs> Certainly, I've talked about the fact that I'm texting with an old crush. Which is weird, but you know what? What's weird is, and this might be a rerun of the old Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll kind of conversation, but nevertheless, I'm going to ask you, Paul, and you can ask me in return, uh, when when do you, when have you ever felt like a werewolf? When have you ever felt like you've transitioned from normal Paul to oh, feral yeah. Paul? And um, really? that is not a pun. Feral, I mean like F-E-R-A-L. When yeah, have you I've ever been feral, feral? 
before I answer that question, I just want to point out, you said, didn't you say we're 80 minutes in, is what you thought? We're 57 minutes in, but... <laughs> anyway, um, uh, when did I feel like a werewolf, is the question. Uh, I don't know. I don't get super angry all that often. I'm not, I'm not Cause talking I feel like, angry. I'm I feel talking like, like suggests like you're like, you're like, rah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Or are you meaning like, just, just like you become somebody else? Like, is this a I'm Jekyll somebody thing? Somebody else. Yeah. Like the unleashed. Oh, moon. Moon. Does it, does it also, have to be a- you find it fascinating. Sorry. I know you're asking a question. We, you have yeah. to drink because there was a moon. Do you find it interesting that the full moon or the moon at all is never in close-up? It's always super far away. Yeah. It's always like how the characters would view it. Anyway, Paul, stop, stop, shit. Stop trying to... stop trying to do a commentary on the movie we're supposed to be doing commentary Exactly, Paul. (laughs) Stop trying to change the subject and make fun of my inner... Well, I am going to have to do, like, a commentary thing in a minute, because we're coming up on a scene that the censors, like, flip the fuck out over. Um, But I will answer your question. So, uh, when did I... When did I feel like a different person? No, not necessarily. No, 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 not necessarily a different person. But, uh, but no, I, I, what what is what is what is Paul unleashed look like? That doesn't necessarily have to mean angry or aggressive. I'm just saying, like when all of your inhibitions are gone, oh, like they are with Oliver oh my, Reed coming oh, up. What, what does like? that version of you look like? Um, I'm a lot of. I'm just like really. I, <laughs> It's good. It sounds like you're like bragging about yourself, kind of. Because I don't know. Uh, I I feel like I'm very like loose and funny and kind of goofy. Is is that's you normally? What I become? I just get well, like as I'm drinking, like that's kind of what it is, right? Like I'm I just get like goofier. Like I'm more like silly. I don't know. Like, uh, is that a bad answer? <laughs> I, I'm sure it's fine. I, I just feel like I get like I don't know, like I'm more loose. <laughs> I think that's fair, well, Paul. I'm I'm turning over the mic to you for a second. I ow. need bread. Yes, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sick. I just I feel you really feel hungry. Sick. No, I don't you feel need, sick. I just feel like something because you have an empty got, stomach. I got exactly. I need go some, eat. Uh, I need toast go eat. Make a bread. delicious boar's head turkey sandwich. Is what I, I suggest. You know what? That guy at the table right now is totally me. Like I am that dude. I don't even like that fact. I'm just stating it as fact. So I mean, anyway. he's a very likable guy. All right, I'll talk uh, about the scene in question. Oh, that yeah. we're on we're on the scene. All right. Good luck. Uh, I mean, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, it's me, Paul, your commentator for Curse of the Werewolf. Uh, and we are talking about this scene where he is with a woman of the night uh, in a nightclub. And I'm going to do the commentary thing where I just describe what's on screen. No, I'm not. That's one of my least favorite commentary things. But this scene was like super... Oh, 
I gotta remember, drink, because there was a moon there. Uh, this seems really controversial. It was the one that the BBFC, well, one of the many ones that the BBFC really freaked out over. Um, what they were so upset about was the fact that it was sexual and violent. Uh, the BBFC had a weird rule where they felt that you could show one or the other, but you could not combine the two. That somehow, if you did something violent and sexual, it exponentially was worse and made everybody want to go do that thing. Um, so they told Hammer that they could either, either keep the violence or the sexuality. And Hammer had to chop the scene up to the point where it was barely understandable what it was that happened. Um, and this sort of like pervaded the release as a whole and made it to where what ended up being released was kind of a bastardization of what Terrence Fisher had shot and edited originally. Um, and frankly, when it came out, people were kind of lost because a lot of the vision of the movie was was gone without those things. Ultimately, when you're making horror, if you can't show the extremes you're attempting to explore, all the stuff in the middle has a lot less meaning to it. And it was not until uh, the early 90s, uh, I don't know an exec year, that uh, the uh, British Film Commission actually managed to restore the film to its original negative. Yeah, this scene was not there originally. Um and show it, and it it was completely sort of reappraised. And despite what Jinx might say, um, many people now consider it to be one of the most beautiful, haunting films in Hanner, Hammer Hammer's wow Hammer's repertoire. Um, and I really love that we see the werewolf here, but not really on full display. Um, in shadow with just his hands. Um, and again, this is one of Terrence Fisher loves using shadow. I think it's really haunting. I think it's really effective. But yeah, that that was one of those scenes that kind of caught them up, so to speak, when it came to it. And now we're kind of on back to the hunter who is still fighting with that dude about his dog. And in all fairness, that dude has an argument because the dog was like completely innocent. Um, in some ways, one might accuse this movie uh, uh, of killing a dog, an innocent dog, which is now sort of a thing that can get a movie in a lot of trouble. I will say when I was in film school, sadly, and even I fell victim to this, a lot of people thought that doing the things you weren't supposed to do in horror was like the exciting thing to do, like pushing the boundaries. Um, when pushing in all reality, yeah. there's a reason people don't reason like to see that kind of stuff. People don't like to see Hey, drunkie. I, How you doing? Paul, I, I have the sneaking suspicion that I may be inebriated. I don't know for certain. Okay. Can, can I be a hundred percent honest with you while you're gone? Hit me. There were yes. two two shots of the moon. Okay. So, what what is the what are you what are you trying to tell me? Well, if you recall, you and I, I are probably playing, don't. We we're playing a drinking game. I remember nothing rules, about a moon. Okay. One of the rules is if there's a shot of the moon, which there were two, you have to drink. The hell you say. The hell I say. All right. 
Two two drinks. Yeah, because at this point, <laughs> why the hell not? Um, it's one okay. of the things that, that are, uh, shows up are... on a lot of the special features is working with Oliver Reed. And the thing I found kind of cool is sometimes when you hear about these like sort of famous actors, like that they were dicks and stuff, like everybody loved Oliver Reed. Everybody that talked about him thought he was awesome. Cool guy. I mean, it's a shame because he eventually succumbed to <laughs> alcoholism, <laughs> which I guess is a, uh, uh, a weird thing to talk about when I'm playing a drinking game watching his movie. Um, but uh, in general, people thought he was very, very down to earth, very friendly, and he was really excited to uh, do this movie. And I think he does a really good job, despite what Jinx may say. When, Are when you... did I talk? When I, when Paul, when did I talk shit about Oliver Reed? Name, name one time. Really? That's I. That's I, your I question. Paul, I've not leveled one ounce, ounce, sir, of criticism against Oliver Reed. I'm fairly certain that Oliver Reed could drink us both under the table in oh, succession. Whoa. Yeah. As a matter of fact, probably, that's, uh, yeah. that's how he died. Have a, you read not, how not, he died? Well, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say. It's probably not like prudent to speak about him drinking us under the table. It isn't, <laughs> but let's go ahead and talk about it because apparently the way he died... He was on break from filming Gladiator in Malta. He went to a local bar. He drank a bunch of semen. Uh, <laughs> giggity. He drank a bunch of semen Dear under the Lord, table. Sir. Are you in <laughs> McGee's The Babysitter? Are you a character in McGee's The Babysitter? That was I'm sorry. The word semen amuses me. I'm still a child at heart. Yeah, anyway. It was the giggity. It was the giggity that pushed it over the edge for me. But keep going. <laughs> drank them under the table, and then proceeded to arm wrestle them and won against, like, five dudes. And then he had a heart attack. And I'm, all I'm saying is, one, it sucks the world no longer has Oliver Reed. Two, it sucks that he died relatively early in life. He wasn't that old. Three, that was to be it, his it, resurgence. Yes. Gladiator. That but was his resurgence. That was him coming back. That would have been his uh, his Silence of the Lambs, his Hannibal. That would have been the thing where like people looked at him like, oh, this older actor is fantastic. Let's all of a sudden start casting wow. him in all the roles we would normally cast that wife-beating son-of-a-bitch Sean Connery in. You know? um, but instead, he passed away during filming, and that sucks. But I just want to say, number three, what a way to go for that dude. Like, that is, uh, Oliver Reed lived a badass life, and he went out like a badass. I can't feel too bad about that. It's better than somebody unceremoniously you... shooting him with a silver bullet. I was going to say, how can you not feel bad about this poor man dying of a heart attack because of his alcoholism, but you're cool. Like, but you don't see the, the because, heart. Because, love. because, because, Paul. Because, because he, he you because don't listen to the director no, Terrence, no, who we both know is, is no, amazing no, said no, about what he no, intended. No, no, <laughs> that's not it. What I'm saying is, is that the man went out on his own terms. You can't tell me that's not peak he, Oliver Reed. He drank a bunch of semen under the table, arm wrestled them all and win one, and then he was like, you know what? I'm good. And then he checked out. I think that's pretty kick-ass. If he had died 
in like at the end of an arm wrestle where his like hand is on top of the other guy's hand and he's like staring into the other guy's eyes with like an intense look and then he's just dead with his eyes like wide open and intense staring at the guy. Then that's badass. I'm not gonna lie. No, no, like, no. He won, he won every arm wrestling contest and then he peaced out. I think that's awesome. No, I I I think the world lost Oliver Reed too soon. Um, but no, I I get what you're saying. They did. And um, I'm sorry if that's, uh, you know, I, I posted something on Twitter. I, I, I posted <laughs> I posted something on Twitter that nobody responded to. And then the next day, like some snarky douche was just like, oh, I guess that hot take didn't work. I don't know if he was referring to me, but I'm pretty sure he was referring to me. And I don't give a rat's ass because, you know what, I'm going to throw this out there. You know, Google it if you want to. Watch the footage if you need. Read the memoir of the woman if you care. But Sean Connery was a wife-beating son of a bitch. Just throwing that out there. Gotcha. Fair enough. And now we're... And frankly, not for nothing, I think Oliver Reed probably could have kicked his ass. I mean, that's fair. I heard you take another drink, so I should take another drink. I felt that she was looking at him in a really meaningful way, is what what I'm getting at. Paul, when it comes to movies, people look at one another. You can't count every glance as a drink, otherwise you're gonna you're gonna run me into it degree. That's kind of what I'm trying to do. That I knew, <laughs> I knew it. I knew you want a new co-host. You want to drink well, me off the show. I mean, I I gotta have a reason to get Samara Weaving on here. I feel like she'll have a lot to say about Hammer. You know what? If Samara Weaving was the one to kill me and take over my co-host role, I couldn't even be mad. If she beat you in an arm wrestling match and then you died of a heart attack, would you be? Would you feel good about that? Is Paul, that how this... number one, what I would let her. For I the was... silver bullet. No, <laughs> she wouldn't even need one. If she, if, if she arm wrestled me, number one, I would let her win. Number two, I would then die of a heart attack, yeah. uh, just because Samara weaving. But um, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, where are we at? People are looking at one another. Should we be drinking? I think not. No, we don't have to drink. I mean, I think you should just drink in general, like just to enjoy Paul, Paul I gotta tell you. Paul, I gotta tell you, more often uh, than not, I do drink in general. Well, I don't here's know, the thing, you know that Jinx, you what we need right now is a little bit of a reprieve because once he turns into a werewolf, it's gonna get real rough with my final act rally. Okay, let's because remember. I've had some bread. I've had a little Pepto. I think, I think yeah, you're good. probably a little worried because you're like, oh shit. Because once the werewolf starts throwing shit, you're gonna have to. Will it? Will you're, it? You're gonna have to will it, vibe. Quite it sounds like it's gonna be on like Donkey Kong, is what you're telling me. It's gonna Look be on like Donkey Kong, Look, and and he, we haven't he, even talked about Ray Ash. Well, we did. Oh, can I? A terrible, terrible kisser, Paul. But that's that's just stage kissing, dude. That's how they all kiss. It's um, can I can I talk about something weird about the movie? Yes. Like, commentary wise, um, Benjamin Frankel, who did the score, Benny he employed Frank. something called he employed something called serialism in the score, which I found <laughs> fascinating. And he brought this I, film. I would love serial this, right now. Serial oh sounds God. great. See, you're already distracting from actual commentary content, like real live, like interesting I'm sorry. content. Did, 
did did you say already? We're over an hour in. What the hell are you expecting from me, Paul? You know better. Well, I'm just saying I'm trying to deliver what our audience has come to expect. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't even get Paul, that. between the two of us, I'm the one delivering what's expected. I'm throwing you're right. that out there. I'm sorry. I'm, oh, wow. So you, now you're shitting on me trying to, like, deliver real life. Okay, fine. I won't tell uh, you anything about serialism. I'm, 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 I'm defending myself. <laughs> what I'm doing. That's fine. Take that, Paul. Look at that. That, that is it's me. a very contentious right. commentary. We, we've been fighting a lot. Paul, I like uh, his coat. <laughs> so serialism uh challenges the idea of major and minor keys and scales and it rearranges the chromatic scale to create tone rows that have no actual for trying to make this a real commentary and Holy so, shit, really what it does is you just pick like random notes and you create your own scale and then you use that to write music and then you play it and it's an incredibly avant-garde experimental type of music at the time and this was the first film to bring that to britain and it actually changed the music scene so a lot of like composers actually look at this film score as one of the most important scores of its time and i found that really interesting there you go little little tidbit I just, and Jinx is just I, sitting there bored he's just bored because i'm not talking about texting people I, so jesus paul i thought we were friends we are friends shit you're you're attacking me on such a level that I feel like I need to tell our audiences that you hate the Saw nope, franchise. Do I don't hate Saw. You told I me don't you hate Saw. I love the Saw franchise. Well, you, I, you said you okay. hate Saw and that James Wan blows. And that is a direct I quote. I didn't say I hate Saw. I said the first one doesn't really work for me. You said and I've more only than that. I've seen only one and two, so I haven't seen the franchise. See I what I've done, comment. Paul? You see what I've done? I put you I've on the defensive. I turned the mic around on you, sir. Thanks, Pat. That's fine. That guy in the background is definitely communicating with his eyes. I was I was still being friendly, oh, and you turned around. You, you. Just because she has anime eyes doesn't mean she's communicating with them. She's talking. She's talking with her mouth. She's communicating with she her should, mouth. She should be in a Tim Burton movie. She should. Holy shit. Like she should play like uh, 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 Ava Green's mom. Anyway, Paul, I, I I don't feel the least bit bad yeah. about Saw Revelation because you attacked me first, and I think that's only fair. I think you were saving it for the right moment. I kind of like how kind of like I how was. Dumbledore didn't tell Harry to the right moment what he was going to have to do. I don't know that the much about the because I that's, I that's don't. How I I I feel uncomfortable (laughs) talking about Harry Potter these days because J.K. Rowling is a fucking nut. But um, uh, well, if we're gonna go by that logic, we can't talk about anything. We can't talk about Scream because it was produced by a shitty person. I don't know. Anyway, uh, do you do you count producers as creators? And that's a genuine question. I'm just because... saying, like, if your argument is I can't enjoy something touched by somebody terrible, that, no, then that no, cancels no. out a lot of things. No, 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 no. I'm not saying you it's can't. A bad I don't but... think we should have it. No, I think we should, Paul, because we've, <laughs> no, no, because no. we've got to about Saw and how much I hate No, I hate no, 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 okay. no. Can I, can I be I'm honest dragging... with Saw? Can I no, you can't. No, no, not now. No, 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 no,
because we're going, going to drag it back, back to JK. Back. We're gonna we're we're no, we're not we're doing gonna, JK. We're gonna Rowling. yes, we we are doing JK Rowling. And here's why. Here's why. Because here's here's I just want to say, I just Paul, I just want to say. I just want to say. I just I just want to say. You can total I got no problem with anybody loving Harry Potter. Harry Potter isn't a problem. I'm just saying that can't we and somebody said as much online earlier and I agree with them entirely. And it's weird that a lot of people seem to agree with the sentiment, but it doesn't apply to every movie franchise. And I can think and I know, you know, that you're going to know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't apply to even every horror movie franchise. But when it comes to Harry Potter, I think that you can divorce what you take from the Harry Potter series from who its creator ultimately wound up being. Now, is that too controversial a statement? No. No. Equally, equally, can I then appreciate Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown and The Tenant and The Ninth Gate and any number of Roman Polanski movies while acknowledging that he is also a pedophilic rapist piece of shit? Yeah. Okay. Then can I? Oh shit! I don't even want to say it. But can I enjoy a series <laughs> of fun creature features, even oh, if no, we're not even doing. if don't do even, it. But it's the same thing. It's the same do thing, it. and that's it's not worth it. Jinx. It's it do is. you want listen because do you want it is listen. this Paul Paul. I, it is the same. To, it is the same thing. It is the same thing, Paul. It is the same thing because I'm not going to say the title. I'm just saying if those, I'm just saying, Paul, if those two previous points are true, then can I not, and any number of other horror fans not, enjoy a series of fun creature features even if they were created by a piece of shit? I think, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, yeah, I think so. Okay. I All right. I think we're. I think no we're good. Late. I, but, I think we're fine. Uh, yeah. Um, so Carrie Elwes is really bad in Saw. I think his he performance is, is terrible. He is not. And I hated him in it, and I don't like the rapper the wraparound scene in it, and it takes me out of the movie constantly. I think the editing feels like an MTV music video. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like Saw. I don't like the first Saw. Okay, fine. You you heard it here first, folks. And guess what? Guess what? I like Saw 2. I thought Saw 2 was a lot of fun. I wrote about it in Whorehound for Jinx at one point, and I actually do like that movie. Oh I just my like god, it. you were a part of the Saw uh, I was. Uh, <laughs> holy shit! I didn't even realize I thought, that. I invited I did, on somebody who doesn't care for the franchise to write about the franchise in a magazine. That's amazing. Are you like sad that you did that? Because that was a really important moment for me. So it, it no, hurt my feeling. No, no, I'm not. I, you know what? I'm actually very proud of how that article turned out, folks. To explain, ages ago, Horror Hound decided to do a retrospective of Saw, and because I'd written. Uh, a handful of retrospectives for them by that point, they gave it to me. But the thing is, is they gave me the wrong deadline. So instead of like three or four months, I had two weeks to turn it in. And when that was revealed to me, I said, no, 
But I had an idea to bring in a bunch of different writers all at once, and each one of them could tackle a different film. And then I actually came up with a puzzle to apply to the entire thing. And if people read the article and understood what the hell the puzzle was, then they won like a really super cool prize package from Horror Hound. And I'm proud of the fact that only one person understood what the puzzle was. I love that. Uh, but Paul wrote about Saul too, which was apparently one of the two fucking Saul movies he had seen. Paul, I got to tell you, I, <laughs> I thought it was I, a pretty good article. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was for a fact. I couldn't tell at all that you hated the first movie. Um, it sounds like you hate it, but, 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 but the, uh, okay. My own, my own point of view is that Saul is really good. I like Saul. Saul two is better. Saul three is the best. Saw 4 is pretty okay. Saw 5 is boring as hell. Saw 6 is surprisingly fucking fantastic and actually has some interesting things to say about healthcare in the United States. I am not making that shit up. Saw huh. 7 Should I? Maybe Saw 7 is maybe one of the worst fucking entries any long-running horror movie franchise has ever had. Uh-huh. And Jigsaw, the reboot, is a lot of fun. It's not great, but it's fun. It's a good popcorn entry to that franchise. And I can't wait to see Spiral. Paul, if you're going to watch Spiral next year, if they even I release am. it I in, am. I, in so COVID life, Should I do it? Should I do the damn thing and watch all the sound movies? It, okay, if you've held off this long, I would recommend doing a franchise rewatch right before Spiral comes out. Okay, I'll do that. And and when that happens, I will revisit Saw, and maybe I'll like it now. Maybe I'll like it now. I just didn't like it when I was younger. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a jerk. I, I apologize. I don't want to, like, put people off. Paul, don't look now, but shit is getting pretty wolfy on yes. screen. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. So um, this is Roy Ashton's sort of, like, greatest achievement, probably. And he wasn't, like, a classically trained makeup guy. But he did. he did look at... Jack Pierce's makeup for the Wolfman, and he studied the physiology of wolves. He spent a lot of time at zoos and stuff. Um, and I love this makeup. I think this makeup is so impressive. It's good. Why do you think he goes gray? Um, I think he was just well. You mean like the the general look of the hair and stuff like that? It, yes. It's just based on the wolves that he was studying. That was the general color he saw. And then didn't they use, like, yak hair? That was just kind of the coloring. <laughs> yak. That's all right. I'm not operating on any higher level right now, Paul. I That's just... fine. I, I appreciate what you have to say. I'm trying. Um, I'm trying here. Roy Ashton was a really interesting guy, and he was, like, a really... He seemed like a really down-to-earth, cool person. That is a great makeup, though. And oh, it is iconic. And um, it's kind of like maybe... He threw a door. Drink the drink. He threw a door. Shit. Guess what he's doing? He threw it again. <laughs> he picked it up and threw it again, so you gotta drink again. Okay, I drink again. Damn it. Now remember, this is the final act rally. Anytime the wolf throws anything, you have to drink. Okay, why I is she undressing him? Things are getting a little, uh, little strange here. A little, little strange. A little bit. 
So interesting thing about the uh, the film commission. Did you know that in their edits they cut out about eighty percent of the werewolf stuff? So in the in what actually screened, there was very little actual werewolf action. All I know right now in this very moment, Paul, as you talk to me, is that her collarbones are like really defined. She's in, uh, she, yes. <laughs> that is all. Okay, the, so I gotta ask. Uh, Street Fighter, okay, so the, collarbone, so yeah. <laughs> the Mill Creek version of this, is it the uncut version or is that uh, uh, limited to the Scream Factory edition? Because I'm, I'm still getting a good bit of werewolf here. No, no, you should have, the, the, I believe the Mill Creek is the uncut. The uncut version came out in the early 90s. Really? So that's been out for, yeah, yeah. Well, was, why didn't you, why didn't you choose stairs for the rally? Because we're, we're getting a lot of stair work here in the last act. Well, I don't know. Love, a, can, love a good set of stairs. All right, we'll drink. <laughs> I don't want to. You just practice on yourself. Sure. Now it's also. Oh, you kind of asked for it, so I did. That's a fact. I do love um, a good mob scene in a Hammer film. A good mob chasing a werewolf scene. I see some pitchforks. I, I or no, I I see some. Uh, Torches. I don't see one pitchfork in the group, and that's just that's lazy, Paul. I guess. What What are they going to do when they catch up to him? Are they going to set him on fire? No, you need a pitchfork. So what? You now need. I'm making really curious if the cut is different. What do you see on the screen right now? Uh, he is running up. He's hugging the wall. He's climbing. He's climbing. He's climbing like a damn champ. He's, yeah, yeah uh, we're, we're, we're in the same spot. He's he's, he's at the he's top still, of the building. Yeah, he just he just pulled himself up on the top of the building. The crowd's going wild, Paul. Uh, Look at I, I I mean, are they there to kill him or cheer him on? I can't tell at this point. It's hard to know. I think that he Paul, that was the biggest drink I've ever heard on a mic. Are we did I miss a drink? Should I have drunk? I'm just drinking. I'm just drinking at this point. What the hell, man? We got a, we got a drinking game. We get we we got a. Uh, 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 Can you talk? Game. You can't even talk. I I can too talk. Look at him <laughs> now. Why is he climbing the building back there? He's just Paul. This werewolf is just showing off at this point. He's scared. He doesn't know what's going on. He sees a lot of people chasing after him. I think a part of him is still himself. Yeah. No. I'm sorry. He's a showboat. Look at him. His parkour. Using ass. Parkour. I think that's part. You think that's parkour? I mean, it was probably the closest thing they had to it back in those days. Yeah, I. I... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm not <a> parkour comment. <laughs> Flaming Dale, hey, he threw it, so you got. You know, it's. I'm pretty sure people died during that shot. It's possible. Okay, yeah, genius, that's great. You climb all the way up to the top, away from the people, and then you leap back down to the ground. That's that's some great strategy, Wolfie. Oh, he's climbing again. Yeah, I think we should have to drink just for him climbing, too. I think that would have been in the rules you said in the very beginning, Paul. 
I did say it. You just don't remember because you're drunk. <laughs> Shit, I can't argue that. <laughs> you don't know. I could have said it. You told me at the beginning. You're gonna forget everything. I gotta stop. For, I gotta start writing this shit down. Uh, now you're just gonna have to trust me. I don't want to. I'm sorry about the Saul comment. No, you're not. You, you were saving. You were gonna bring it up no matter what happened. No, 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 no. I was not. I, I was not, Paul. Paul, I was not. I'm just saying, like you, you, you got me to that point. I wasn't oh. expecting the point to ever actually hit. I'm sorry, I'm a bad friend. It's fine. I got your back. We're we're even now. We're good. See, more stairs. I'm just saying, stairs would have been a great choice. I already stairs, changed the stairs. Paul, I already changed. Stairs, stairs are never a bad choice. I'm feeling and, a lot of shame for my poor rules. My bad rule changes. Well, you know, the shame was meant to be unspoken, but here we are. It's a commentary. We're meant to talk about things. I don't know, Paul. And there are the bells again. Is that, a, is what is that, is that part of the drinking game? I can't tell. Yes. Drink Shit. those bells. All right. Fine. And drink because someone's going upstairs. I instituted that. That's here. I don't have a lot of margarita left, which I got to tell you, Paul, I started out with a whole lot. And now See, and you're like bit... complaining about my rules. You've drank a lot. No, I Ooh. have. I, I I'm love saying that. that. Oh yeah, look at that blood spurt. That oh, blood. he did. What? What is? What is up with the acrobatic flip there? He got shot in the chest, he and he does like a little flourish. In a hard, hard situation. No, he did like a little acrobatic spin. That shit was on oh. purpose. That was literally he. He, wa- he wanted to go out fabulously. In his last two seconds. Not for nothing, he did. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's weird here? They don't do the thing that every werewolf movie does at this point, which is have the monster change back to the man he once was. Yeah. No, instead he just stays a big hairy dick. But they show a tear. Moon, drink for the moon. Just like the opening shot shows a tear running down the uh, the cheek. And again, I think this movie is really beautifully bookended. Um, and, and that's something I really respect about it. Like the, that it kind of opens on the bells, ends on the bells, opens with the tear on the cheek, with the eyes, ends on that same sort of visage. I don't know. I just I find it really beautifully haunting. I, I, I just really do. It's, it's an impassioned film. That I really, I don't know. I just I really get into. So Paul, there you Paul, have it, folks. and this this, this is the werewolf. This is, I think this, that was this. This is going to sound like bullshit, but I love that you love oh, it. I and I love your opinion on it, and that you shared it with me, even though it was different than what I felt. I like that we had a conversation. It was nice to have a conversation about it. Like yeah. it wasn't really an argument. It was more of a conversation. And yeah. I think that's how people should discuss movies that they don't exactly. always agree on. Exactly. That's While cool. drunk. While drunk. I, I don't know. I thought that was a good... I feel good about this one. I, did, <laughs> I feel I like this too. is a Jekyll. I feel yeah, like this is we, more of a Jekyll. We, 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 we talked a lot about <laughs> the movie that, at hand, is which is bar? pretty good. <laughs> is, 
Is is yes. the two faces of Doctor Jekyll now the thing we'll always reference? Like I think we're like, that's... oh, this is this is an actual commentary, <laughs> not just us, like bullshitting around. Here I think that's the high watermark, but this one might be simply because the you know the two faces of Doctor Jekyll was a solid commentary. I feel yeah. like the Curse of the Werewolf was a perfect mix of commentary and um, uh, us being drunk bastards, um, which is kind of what this <laughs> show is. Like, we finally struck the perfect balance with this episode. It only took us, like, six or seven episodes. Yeah. Uh, but but we got there. We got there. Well, I, I think it helps when there are, in a way, like, when there's differing opinions, it, it's going to make for more interesting conversation. Conflict. Because if it's just us going back and forth, going like, yeah, this is great. This is also great. I agree. That's great. You know, we there's, wind there's up not becoming much... that uh, that Chris Farley gag from SNL. Hey, you remember that time when that one thing happened? <laughs> that was awesome. I, that I do too. Uh, uh, are we so? Are we doing the post film talk or I, what are I we doing? Think, I, I guess we are. Let's just keep it rolling for a few. Wow. I'm still. I still got. I still got alcohol to drink, pal. So uh, I mean, we did have a 45 minute prologue. Which, you know what, is pretty fitting for a talk on The Curse of the Werewolf. Because it takes that movie forever to get to the point, too. <laughs> I'd like to think I made you drop that drink. <laughs> I was putting ice in it. But, uh, I... Yes, it's a long movie. And it takes a while to get to where... It's, no, 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 no. It is not a long movie. It's a 90-minute movie. That feels long. All right. Well, I don't think it does. I don't know. Listeners, uh, we're going to put out a poll. Does Curse of the Werewolf feel long? Are we? Are we? I'm okay. Uh, Will we remember? Probably not. But maybe afterwards. So, so Paul, uh, so we can... Holy shit, I'm slurring. Um, You can... Swearing during the episode, my friend. What, what's our time here? I I I've got a lot of booze in me right now. Okay, so Curse of the Werewolf was nineteen sixty one. Uh, by the way, the, two, the, the the shit, the two movies we mixed up were Brides of Dracula and Two Faces of Doctor Jekyll, not oh. Brides of Dracula and Curse of the Werewolf. So we're actually on track. We're on track. We're on track. The the next Hammer movies are The Shadow of the Cat. Taste of Fear, The Terror of the Tongs, Watch It Sailor, A Weekend with Lulu. I think all of those don't count as Hammer Horror with capital H. I think the next movie we do is one of my very favorite Hammer films, which is Captain Plague, a.k.a. Night Creatures. Okay, I am so excited. I I fucking love that movie. I do too. So good. It's excellent. And you know, it's so good that Rob Zombie actually created a band. Oh, and you get to you get to pick all the rules, so no complaining. You can't say I did a bad job. I didn't say you did a bad job this episode. Clearly I'm drunk as shit. Look. So you did a pretty good job. In in the end, I just wanted to do something different. Because I felt like we were really leaning hard on our old standards. But Next week, I will be sure to go back to stairs and rooms because that always works. The no, hard part I... when you do what, what were you saying? 
No, I was just gonna say I, I'm 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 not knocking your your drinking um, game rules simply because clearly what whatever you did worked because I am drunk as shit. <laughs> what I was so gonna say what, is it doesn't feel like you're drinking as often, but at the same time you really are. Wolf and I think we missed a lot. I think we actually didn't drink as much as we should have. Because there there was a lot of wolf talk that I did not catch. I mean, whenever I gotta get away from picking words because halfway through the movie I stopped paying attention to the subtitles. You know, especially when we're drinking and watching it. But um No, I I I'm glad we watched, I'm glad we talked about it. Um by the time this is up, my article should be up. So, you know, you can kind of see my fully fleshed out thoughts there, but it's it's a movie that I really love um, in ha- Hammer's repertoire and feels sort of distinctive. But Captain Clegg is so great in so many ways. So it'll be fun to go back to something we both are on the same page on. <laughs> Captain Clegg is but you know what? amazing. I, I almost guarantee you what that means is halfway through the episode, we will not be talking about that movie. <laughs> Because we no, agree that's to. the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, it's, we get we'll just kind of deviated to some random whatever foothold we go into. I feel like get... this episode we almost didn't deviate at all. I mean, like, no, no, did we? Right. I mean, I feel like we talked no, no. a little bit about the girl you texted. Did she ask you something? She did. It was random. She was asking me about a text. This was somebody I've known for. Oh, God, do I want to get into this? Well, I'm drunk, so of course I do. Um, this is somebody I've known like half my life and was like a really cro- close friend and then uh, was completely in love with her for a bit and that wound up being a thing. And then it wasn't and now we're friends and that's cool. But uh, now if she were texting me uh, while I was sober, then my reaction would be completely different. But the fact that she was texting me whilst drunk means that my reaction is um, uh, markedly different, I suppose. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get it. No, sober, we're friends. Like, uh, drunk, hey, still kind of in love with her. Uh, so that's 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 where I am. Have uh, you expressed your feelings? I did. And that wound up being a thing like three years ago. You know, it's funny. When we talk about the curse of the werewolf and I, I asked you like what the most un- uninhibited you were like, it's really, you know, when you think about like werewolf tales or even Jekyll and Hyde tales, it's always like talking about uh, 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 the opposite side of ourselves or the flip side of the coin that we are. Right. And what's weird is, you know, I've only considered this while doing this drunken podcast or what I've been thinking about it, that I, I keep trying to, convince myself that I've been off my axis for the last two and a half years or three years. Getting back to who I was before, like this is simply the new version of me. And I kind of have to make my peace with the fact and stop using that as an excuse if that makes any sense at all. And I'm not sure it does because I'm drunk. So no, I don't does. know. I get it. I mean, we so, all, we all go through evolutions, right? You know, well, they of... say what you, you change fundamentally over the course of every seven years, right? 
Like you, you are a different person at 14 than you were at seven, a different person at 21 than you were at 14, a different person at 28 than you were at 21, 35 to 28, 42 at 35, so on and so forth. And I, I found that to be mostly true. I remember reading that when I was young and thinking like, wow, sure, you're different, but come on, you're still essentially the same person. But now, like nearing nearing 40, I look back and I'm just kind of like, no, I kind of I kind of see the wisdom in that. You know, the fact that, you know, we're not one person who just changes a bit. We're we're completely different people who are kind of strung together by, you know, the same mortality. Um I don't know if people agree with that or disagree with that, but I kind of I see it now, you know, in a way that I didn't really before. Well, it's indicative too of how like I watch movies. You know, like there are movies I saw when I was a teenager that I can watch now and have a completely different interpretation of because I have a different worldview, you know, like as you live life, you experience things. And, and I, I also think though, how you change and evolve is indicative of your life experiences. So I think like there are, and it's sad to say, but there are 16 year olds that are way more, have lived more life than some 35 year olds absolutely you know, based on what they've experienced and what they've been exposed to and good bad or indifferent in some ways they might be stronger and more mature than somebody much older than them you know so i think like some of how and when and in what ways that you evolve as a, as a person has a lot to do with what you've lived for, lived for, lived through, I guess, and for. <laughs> uh. That's true, too. But um, <clears throat> I would agree, though. I mean, I think, like, when I think of myself in different stages, like, I've been three or four completely different people. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Who I am now is, like, if you met my 16 year old self, like it's, it'd be shocking how different we are. <laughs> no, I agree. You know? I agree. I get that. And that used to, the weird thing is that used to bug me even until very recently, like to look back and sort of take stock and be like, you know, I, because I don't think I ever took the changes as being a positive thing because I'm not necessarily where I want to be in life. Right. But, you know, even a handful of episodes ago, I said that I wasn't really happy with myself or I didn't really like myself. Mm -hmm. And I think something's kind of shifted in me where I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm still not where I want to be. And I still don't know if I like myself simply because I know I'm not the ideal version of me that I want to be or even could be. But I've become more accepting of that fact. Like I'm OK mm -hmm. with the fact that I'm not you know, 21 year old me anymore. I'm not 28 year old me anymore. Like I'm okay with, you know, uh, having changed by degrees, you know, every, you know, little over a half a decade. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I've good. gone from feeling defeated over the fact that I haven't quite made it to where I want to be yet to sort of embracing those changes and just trying to trust the fact that they're going to get me to where I need to be at some point, hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that, um, well, I really like you. I think you're a cool guy. Oh, stop. <laughs> 
You're uh, just saying that, biding your time. No, I'm until not. You get I actually think you're a cool guy. I, I don't think I would be talking to you every week if I didn't think you're a cool guy. You're biding <laughs> your time until you can convince Samara Weaving to take my place. And here's the thing. I can't even blame you for that, Paul. Well, you know, honestly, I would not. I would not. I can't quit you, Jinx. I cannot quit you. Even Paul, for Samara. I, Paul, I got to <laughs> tell you. Paul. I'm being honest here. Real talk. Real I love talk. you to bits. Love you to bits, pal. You'd quit me for Samara, wouldn't you? Love you to bits. <laughs> I would trade you in a second for Samara Weaving. I'm sorry. I didn't want. I didn't want you to find out this way. I blame somebody else for doing it. <laughs> that is entirely fair. Yes, but only if she does a third babysitter movie, because you know it's going to feel incomplete if she doesn't. I think if they do a third one, she should be like the start. I, I think they should go back to oh, her the main character and maybe maybe tell her story. Maybe no, maybe start the, the yes. tell her story. Like go all the way back to the beginning of like her joining allegiances and literally like do a back to the future two thing kinda where you actually like traverse both the first two movies and then in the first act maybe, and then like continue it into the final arc and where it's all going. I think that would be really cool. Um, Maybe, maybe Cole has to rescue her from hell or maybe she needs to find a way to break out of hell herself simply because like, you know, again, that was kind of a redemptive moment at the end of it. It reminded me of uh, Constantine in a way. It's like she shouldn't have gone to hell in those final moments because ultimately she wound up, even though she was not a great person, she wound up saving innocent people. Just you know, like Christine should have gone to hell at the end of Drag Me to Hell. It's, no, we both she, agree. She, no, Paul. Because <laughs> no, 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 no. I call bullshit, and here's why: the uh, difference between. Uh, hear me out. Hear me out, and I think you'll find it hard to argue this. The hmm. difference between B in Babysitter and Christine in Drag Me to Hell is that Christine was only ever focused on herself. Only ever focused on herself in Drag Me to Hell. Whereas B, at the very end of Killer Queen, literally sacrifices her life and her soul to save her two charges. To save the two kids that she had, you know, looked over and protected, you know, when they were young. Those two characters couldn't be more different. True, but the problem is that B opted to commit her soul to a contract to the devil. She... To, to save a child's life? I mean, no, there's a. There's that a, wasn't a, why she did that. She no, did that originally. Totally... Well, no, 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 no. it goes yeah. back to the very beginning. That is the first reason. That is the. Uh, le- yeah. That is she literally. Was a good person the whole time, yeah. Okay. No. But, 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 no, no, no. Yeah. She, was, she was eventually corrupted. Yes, but literally the first time she met the devil, she gave her soul over to save a young child's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like somebody that she loved. Which, which, then, which, point, like, which poignantly then, ultimately led to a better reality for both that girl. Well, not better reality, but it, it connects to the other person that she tried to sacrifice. Yes. Who she ultimately yeah, does end up saving, which is... Like one could argue, and I think if you do a third movie 
that would be the way to go is like like maybe the other side of the coin offering her a chance at redemption you know because her initial choice was altruistic i i I, i'm not saying that she doesn't don't be wrong i I don't think but like i think she also does really at all in any way shape or form like so i think i think b does the work i think b does some really arguably well not even arguably i'd say inarguably christine like killing a cat is worse than anything b does b kills people so like like how why does b deserve leniency any more than christine does because and i can explain <laughs> that at least from my point of view I think B goes much further, but yeah. I think she, but I think she eventually comes back to who she eventually, uh, who she originally was, and she sacrifices herself, knowingly sacrifices herself, to ultimately save the innocents, and she returns to who she was at the very beginning, before she ever made a hellish pact. Right now, she did far worse, but she ended by doing far better. Christine doesn't, you know, she kills a cat, right? But she still stays the same. She has no arc. She stays the same exact selfish person the entire time. And it goes back to, again, I did a podcast on this once with, um, um, oh shit, I'm drunk, so I can't remember his name, but he had some very good points. He's the screenwriter of Lovely Molly, which is an awesome movie, which you all should see. His first name's Jamie. He's awesome. I'm sorry that I'm forgetting his last name. I'm drunk. This sucks. But anyway, the conversation that we had, he he made a very good point, which was, look, everybody knows how to be nice, right? It doesn't mean that you're a good person just because you know how to be nice. And I can tell you from my last ex, that shit's true. Like, it's it's very easy to pretend to be nice. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're genuinely kind or good. And that's the difference to me between Christine and B is that Christine is nice and she confuses that with being a good person and she thinks that excuses her shitty behavior. Whereas B kind of knows that she's done shitty stuff and she takes ownership of it and she sacrifices herself to apologize for all the horrible shit that she's done. Christine does acknowledge at the end that she could have given her the loan and and says like, like she says that to her to her to justin long she's like once, once i could have done once, that it i i it was a possibility i didn't do it although i gotta be honest once, with you jinx and maybe this is maybe there, she, shitty dude person but i don't think that. mrs ganoush deserved the fucking loan like she was a monstrous person she revealed herself to be a terrible awful ridiculously evil person i don't care what your reasoning is cursing someone to hell like that doesn't make you empathetic in my eyes that completely discredits anything that I would feel for you. You curse someone to hell. I get that. I get that. No Here's the thing. one deserves that. So Mrs. Ganoush I, did not deserve that loan. She had three opportunities to pay for the loan. That's her own fucking fault. Like, I, I, I don't understand why we should all be like, oh, she could have given her a loan. No, fuck that. Mrs. Ganoush didn't deserve the loan. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't. No, no, no. But here's the thing: we could we could argue about Mrs. Ganoush all night. But, but the thing is, is that that has no Mrs. Ganoush. Miss Mrs. Ganoush has no bearing. 
no, on the person no. that Christine is. She has no bearing on but, that. But then Christine, why okay, do you okay, such a you bad just, person? Like, you, just said, you just said it. You literally just said it. She says at the end of the movie, I could have helped her. And I didn't. And here's the thing. She feels okay. She, she, would you, she, 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 would she, you have given her she, that loan? Yes. And I can I can actually point out. I don't dude, know I that used I would have. <laughs> dude, I used to work in a bank. I'm telling you, I would have. Uh, that's thing one. Thing two is the fact that Christine can only allow herself to get to that point of realization once there are no stakes. She can navel gaze all she wants after the fact that she condemned Mrs. Ganoush to hell or whatever. And she can feel <laughs> real. She can, she deserved can, it. She like, can, she, she can, she can, someone else she, she can wring her hands all she wants and she can feel real bad about everything that happened. But dude, she did zero work there. There is no, we're not, we're not, we're not. And you know what's crazy is, is when I first saw that movie, when I first saw that movie, I felt all the sympathy in the world for Christine. And I was, I was, I, I, Paul, I love Drag Me to Hell. Drag Me to Hell is such a good movie. It's It's one of my favorite like modern horror films. I love Paul, it so much. Paul, Paul, it's one of my favorite Raimi's. I'm just saying that it ends on the perfect note. The difference between, and I'm going to bring it's it full circle. Note. For this, I just, are you, are, I just are you ready? Like Paul, I'm, Paul, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it full circle here. Are you ready for this atom bomb? The difference between drag me to hell and the din is that Drag Me to Hell's downbeat ending is earned, whereas the Dens is not, in my estimation. Sure. I think they're both earned, and I think in different ways. I, it's just how I feel about it. Like, And that's the difference between me and you when it comes to those movies, is like, we each feel the opposite. Because in the Den, like, I don't care about that character in the same way you do. I, oh, I think she's interesting, but it doesn't... I do. I, don't I totally really do. I feel... But I, I care about Christine. I don't. Like, I don't. I don't. I care about Christine, and I care. I wanted her to live, and and, and but yet, Can even I though I wanted that, I still love the ending because because it's what the movie says is going to happen. It doesn't break its own rules. It's like Christine is damned to hell. She's going to get taken to hell, no matter but, what but, happens. But, 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 you're going to hell, and so I'm like, but, cool. She gets taken to hell. The movie delivers on its dark premise. I agree like that's why I'm okay with that's that. But it also here's the thing: it plays fair, not only plot wise, but also thematically. Drag me to hell has the perfect ending. Well, it's called drag where, me. To hell. <laughs> yeah, kinda, but the plot kind of has to drag someone to hell for that to work. Whereas the den, I I like the character in the den simply because she seemed like an everywoman. Simply, like simply the, because. Simply because she seemed like a normal person, right? And at the end of it, she does not deserve what happens. Whereas with Christine, and maybe here's the thing: like I said, when I first saw the movie, it was, it was, it was, it was. I don't it was care when, I, when I, when I, when I, <laughs> nobody. Okay, and, 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 I'm sorry. I, 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 I didn't even finish what I was saying. I'm saying in 2008, 2009, whenever the movie came out, I felt bad for that character. Sure. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, 
is that in the years since when I've revisited the movie, I, I no, I don't buy the sweet, you know, person routine. The sweet person routine is a mask that Christine wears to uh, 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 to relieve herself of the responsibility of the bad things that she's done and that she does to relieve herself of the fact that she is a deeply selfish person. And so that's why I think Dragman Hill's ending is perfect because she gets exactly what she deserves. Now, here's the thing. You're talking to somebody who doesn't believe in capital punishment uh, at all. But when it comes to films and when it comes to art, then yes. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see the bad characters punished, right? It doesn't mean I agree with like uh like I said capital punishment. It doesn't mean I agree with uh, you know, people people getting the death penalty or the electric chair or anything like that. But when it comes to art, when it comes to storytelling, there are appropriate endings for certain types of characters and I think Christine earns every ounce of the ending that she gets. I so I think what this all boils down to is you and I disagree on what the movie wants us to think. Okay. Because your argument is the movie wants you to want her to be punished. And I don't think that's what the movie's attempting to do. No, 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 no. Here, here's the thing. And I, I don't hate Christine. Because by I, your logic. Then... No, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I do not hate Christine. I don't. There's a difference between me hating her and me feeling like her comeuppance is earned. There is a line there. I don't hate Christine. I think Christine, by by what the movie has shown us, is somebody who had a shitty childhood. Is no. somebody who's molded into the person that we experience by the time that movie's story begins. Yeah. Do I sympathize with her? I absolutely do. What I'm saying is is that no matter how much sympathy I have for her, she still makes all the wrong choices, and all of those wrong choices lead to a very justified ending. Of her rotting in hell forever. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) And that's quote-unquote justified. That's fine. (laughs) If that's how I understand, I just completely disagree. I I just don't think what she does in the movie, even if... I follow the logic of she could have given someone a loan who ended up being terrible and deserving of the curse that Christine tried to give her. Because if anyone deserves to be in hell, it's her. It's it's okay. that gypsy. And honestly, if, if she's given that curse to Christine, she's probably done it before. But no, that's no, 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 no. I, I disagree wholeheartedly there, and here's why. If you, you are willing, if you are willing to to extend, if you no, 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 if you are willing to extend that much understanding and sympathy to Christine, then can you not also extend that to Mrs. Ganoush, who came to the what bank? No, 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 no. Girl, I'm sorry. Was in her car and no. her? No. Yes, no. I did no. not do that. No. When she showed up to the bank, did she not show up with her, essentially, her hat in hand? Yeah. Did she not show up kindly After and, loans and, and begging and, and begging and hoping? Okay, then tell me. Tell me. Tell me. 
man. What is the difference? <laughs> Hear me out. What is the difference yeah. between Mrs. Ganoush, the very first time we see her in Drag Me to Hell, and the beggar in The Curse of the Werewolf? Well, I think, and first off, our listeners are probably getting really sick of hearing about Drag Me to Hell, because I'm pretty sure we had the same conversation <laughs> on a different episode. No, no. So I really deeply apologize that we're revisiting this. And I realize now I, I'm kind of like, now I seem like the the uh, the capitalist society asshole. So I feel like this is like a void argument that I shouldn't even pursue. I guess um, the only way I can possibly explain this is this. Do I think like banks are awesome? No. Do I think our financial system makes sense? No, it's terrible. At the end of the day, I'm looking at Christine as a fucking like worker at a bank who had a really difficult position and had to make a decision and was influenced by a lot of exter- external factors and exterior factor- factors okay. that weren't her own ba, 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 ba. which is it no factors. you asked me to talk no. and i get to no no, no. no. Oh, those external factors include, as, as long point. as you mention as long as you mention that those external factors include her getting a promotion absolutely but she's also worried about like not getting a promotion and being perceived as weak because she's a woman in that job. So there's also a lot of misogyny at play. Ah. There's a lot of things in the workforce that are working against her, that she's fighting against. And that, yes, that overrode her conscience, which should that happen? Absolutely not on a, on a scale. If this was the real world, yeah. Give people as many loans as they need in the world of the film. Mrs. Ganoush is a fucking monster. She's a monster, but they reveal like, yes, she's a fucking monster. Yeah. Like that's the point yeah. of the movie. It's 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 a movie. It's not real, right? Like we were talking about. No, no, so, no, 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 no. Paul, Paul, Paul. The poor person who is um, taken advantage of by capitalism is not the monster in this story. No. Okay, so Mrs. Ganoush is the good guy. Is how you see it. Also, no. Okay, so how do you see it? I see it as Christine brings everything upon herself. Okay. I really do. Just, no. I just I don't this, see that. I think, I think, I think Mrs. Kinnish is a function of the plot. I think that you could have told the exact same story without the supernatural aspects, and Christine Brown is somebody whose soul still would have been ultimately damned, whether figuratively or literally. Yeah. I, I just don't see it. I don't. And I think the problem is the movie wants us to feel bad for Christine. That's what the movie is trying to make us feel actively throughout the film. It wants I, us I, to sympathy and empathy for her plight. I and, 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 and frankly, I don't think the movie cool. works if you don't. If you don't have empathy for her, so you then do. How? You do. So we well, both both can be both can be true. You can sympathize with Christine. You can even you can have empathy for her. I agree. I do. I absolutely do because of all of the factors that went into shaping the person that she is by the time we meet her in that movie. Your equally, I can exactly. I was probably abused when she was younger. She was absolutely. clearly bullied. Absolutely. Like this poor girl. Uh, like she's, absolutely. She's a product. Of what she was raised to be. I don't Absolutely. know. I just don't see But it's still. You cannot tell me that the ending of that movie from Sam Raimi is not an EC Comics comeuppance ending. 
whether or not you agree with it or not, you cannot tell me that is not what that no, ending is. I, I, yes, it's influenced by that, but I see it more as an Ash being dragged to medieval times ending. I see it more of an Ash. I see her as Ash, not as somebody who deserves what she's getting. Because I don't think Ash deserves what he gets in Evil Dead. But I think he's the unfortunate person who is caught in the middle of this evil. That's what Christine is to me. That's honest to God. I And honestly, if I heard, I, I would like to hear Sam Raimi talk about it. Maybe there's a commentary. There's probably a commentary. I've not listened to it all the way. I've listened to, actually, I think there is a commentary and I listened to part of it, but not the ending. And I would like to know what he says, because my interpretation was more of an Ash situation than someone who gets what they deserve. I do not believe that. Like, if that's true, I will eat my words. <laughs> And I will back away with my hat in my hands like Mrs. Paul, Paul, but Paul, I, Paul, Sam, Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi made over the course of the first decade and a half of the aughts, uh, four massive studio movies. If he wanted to do a sequel to Drag Me to Hell, which on its in its own right was a successful enough movie. I think he could, but mm. he didn't, which to me signals the fact that the movies you you could make a movie about uh uh uh, uh holy shit. I like the actor too. What's his name? The boyfriend shit. Um Josh Justin Long. Justin, Justin Long. Okay. Yeah, and, and you, you could make a movie and people... from hell. Like well, not even that. Would it would be drag me to hell, but it would be drag me the number two hell, right? Oh, drag joke her about from that. or that or that that would make drag sense. But he it. never he never made that movie. He never hinted that that movie was a possibility. He's never pursued that movie. Think, There's never been any inkling. Tends you to think that she deserves it. I just don't see that. I yes. if that's true, then yes. I'm misinterpreting. Yes. Paul, but I in, just in don't capital see letters with exclamation points and underlining. Yes, I, I get, it. I get it. I get that you think I'm wrong. That's fine. No, and I, here's the thing: I would never. Here's Paul, and again, this this goes to me being way too personal on here. But you know what? We're six or seven episodes in, and that's just what I'm going to be known for. So I don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> I would not. <laughs> I would not feel that way. Had I not met and dated somebody who is exactly that person, like the the whole nice thing, the whole you should feel bad for me because of where I come from, the whole I can make mistakes and you should forgive them because I am, you know, I, I am a wounded person, but really deep down I am nice. And so as a result, it's okay for me to fucking cut you open, you know, bullshit that it's a mask. It's a mask. And here's the thing. Just because a bad person wears a mask, just because a bad person wears a mask and believes in the mask, does it make the bad person a good person? And that's what I think Drag Me to Hell is about. That's the movie that I see right. when I watch that film. I think I, I it's about really a person. Think... Oh, go ahead. 
No, I'm just saying. I that's when I watch that movie. That's what I feel about that movie now. I think it's about a bad person who has convinced themselves that they're a good person and they're a hero in their own story. Like so many bad people must in order to get through the day. And we can still sympathize with them. We can still feel for them. We can still connect with them on a human level. But ultimately, when it comes to the, uh, the black and white storytelling of a horror flick like Drag Me to Hell, when that person gets dragged to hell, that is the comeuppance that they deserve. And I get it now because I mm. have met and known that person on a level that goes beyond the mask that they present to everybody else. So, so I understand that you're viewing her punishment in the context of the movie she's in, right? Like that's why you think it's okay, like because in, well, in real life, in real life, she wouldn't if Chris, deserve it, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, if, so if, we can at least agree on that. We can one hundred percent. Here's the difference. I'm like, I'm like, I still just don't think Paul, Paul, a Paul, person Paul, deserves. They no, no, they don't. They don't. They don't. Here's the thing. I I just told you. I don't agree with capital punishment. There's a difference between real life and fiction, right? Uh-huh. In real life, in real life, I have nothing but sympathy for the Christine Browns in the world who have been fucking broken by bad people, and as a result, they have been programmed on a certain level to. To exploit people and to convince themselves that they're good people for doing it. It's just that they've had a shitty run of luck. I do not want them. I do not wish them an ill. I do not wish that they get dragged to hell whatsoever. What I'm saying is, is that in an EC Comics fictional sort of realm that is meant to reflect reality in a weird funhouse mirror sort of way. What I'm saying is, is that in that realm... Christine Brown deserves the comeuppance that she gets. Yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> I, I understand, and I, I, I. Why do I feel like every episode don't... is going to be followed by people raging at me on Twitter? I'm well, opening myself if, up. Wait, one. Up. If people make it this far. They're in it for our banter. <laughs> That's the only reason they're listening this long in. I think we need to do when this all posts and maybe I think I fucking said this the first, I, I feel bad. Cause I feel like we've already had this like literal conversation, but um, <laughs> I feel like yeah. this maybe a little deeper. I think we need to do like a Twitter poll of how people feel about Christine and see what, what, people think because i'm curious we we need to do a twitter poll on how people feel about me being way too personal uh when i get drunk i'm Uh, I'm personal (laughs) you get more personal than me i i I feel like i need to be more personal though because i feel like i'm not bringing enough to the table to support you i i know i feel that's why you're the perfect co-host i bring the personal you bring the commentary for the movie and like discussing the movie at length now i can i can touch on the movie at length you know a little bit and you can touch on personal stuff a little bit but i i I think you and i bring a decent balance at least that's how i feel while i'm really drunk that's good Uh, okay so you you have two options paul yes okay i can either mute myself and you can chat for two minutes and then i'll come back and we'll see where the conversation goes or we can end it right now it's entirely up to you damn a lot of pressure. Because I'm, I'm, yeah, exactly. Do we, do we, do we call it, or do you want to continue? I mean, how, 
are we three hours in? I feel like listeners probably want us to call we, it. I would like to keep we, talking to you, though. Okay, we're three hours and three minutes in. I'm going to mute myself. I'll be back in two minutes, Paul. Entertain the, entertain the listeners. T- talk to them about Saul. <sighs> and go. Okay, listeners, you want to know about Saul? You don't want to know, and you already know about it. It's a big movie. I saw the trailer when it first premiered online. I was really excited. I thought it looked like Seven. That was my initial thought. I was like, oh, it looks like Seven. looks really good. And I was really excited to see it. My problem with the movie is I feel like Carrie Elways is not very good. And his performance is sort of weird and kind of over the top. And it wasn't believable. And then, like, all the editing techniques. Like, I don't like that weird sort of early 2000s, really fast, flashy, like, like a bunch of cutscenes in between main scenes. So like there's a scene and then like a car driving really fast over city lights and the city's going by like, like that kind of uh, time-lapse editing. It feels like when a filmmaker doesn't know quite how to transition from one scene to the other, the movie felt really gimmicky. It felt kind of like torturous for the sake of being torturous. It didn't feel like it had a great, narrative push or reasoning behind those things it just was like oh here's a fucked up situation for you to look at kind of like when uh jinx didn't like the ending of the den um which here's the thing i i fully admit that the world loves the saw movies and they like saw one and and james wan's like a phenomenal director um it just didn't connect with me it wasn't my kind of movie so when Saw 2 came out, I was kind of hesitant, and I didn't go see it. And then it came out on VHS, I rented it, and I was kind of like, oh, this is a little more fun. This is, you know, putting all the characters together in a house, in one location, suffering these traps, and kind of having to solve them, felt a little bit more interesting, kind of like an escape room sort of movie. Um, then I liked how it was juxtaposed against the cops catching Jigsaw. I thought that was kind of a cool narrative idea. Um, I just thought it was more inventive. It it felt more fun. It felt more in line with what I kind of maybe want out of a silly... I hesitate to call it a slasher, but it kind of fits that mold. Paul, I can't... Um, I can't... I cannot speak enough to the fact that standing up and walking around is just a blast right now so can, I, can I go try can you yes. entertain the audience for a minute yeah, while I go you know what Here, here's the thing I want to take the baton from you where did you leave me what are we talking about saw two saw two okay I can do it okay All be right. back in two minutes All right. yes I'm going and... I'm going to walk for the first time by the way for the first time since we started recording I'm going to stand up Paul, so, you're in for a treat. It's it's okay, just so much go. fun. Ready? Yeah. You can do it. All I right. believe in you. Kind of. And there he goes. I don't know if he muted his microphone, folks, but nevertheless, you're stuck with me for at least the next two minutes. So, 
Paul was talking about the Saw franchise. I'm going to tell you, I love the entire series because you know what? I worked at a movie theater when the first movie came out in 2004, and I was, you know, I wound up being the guy who uh, was chosen to build the actual film print and preview it. Now, if you don't know what that entails, building a film print back in the day before everything went sadly digital included getting like six to seven film reels delivered in two insanely heavy metal cans. And what you had to do, you had to pull the film reels out of these insanely heavy metal cans and you had to splice them all together in the proper order sometimes they were reversed which means you had to reverse them on a real system uh you know spinning them in reverse and then actually splicing them together it was a bit of a pain in the ass and not only that you had to get your splices right otherwise there was a misframe on screen where you know you would get the bottom half of the image on top and the the top image on bottom it was a pain in the ass but i gotta tell you and i am i'm kind of patting myself on the back here i was an excellent projectionist i think i was probably eh, that might be the best job i ever had it was, certainly wasn't the most i was ever compensated for but by god I was a good projectionist at Movies 10 in Ashland, Kentucky, way back in the day. And when Saul came out, I built that print, and I ran it after hours, and I watched it, and it blew my mind. And I made a point of building up and previewing every single print of the Saul franchise as it came out. Through thick and thin, I stuck with that series, and I got to tell you, for the most part, I loved it. I just told Paul earlier, I liked the first movie a lot, loved the second movie, the third one is even better than the second. In fact, it's my favorite in the franchise. I love the idea of bad people in love. Even if it's not a romantic love, it's kind of like a familiar, familial sort of thing. But I, I just, I love the third movie. Fourth movie's okay. The fifth movie's boring as shit. The sixth movie is surprisingly good. The seventh movie, which was in 3D, and I didn't build it up because that was when we actually transitioned to digital. And I had to download the damn movie to our servers, which we had just gotten and actually build the uh, the print digitally and run it to the projector and we watched it in 3D and it was just just folks it was just terrible. It and sounds then I terrible. Actually, what, what are we talking it about? It was Paul. It was terrible. Saw seven slash saw 3D slash saw the final chapters. Saw slash what the hell ever. It was a piece of shit. But then long after I had left, probably by about two years or so, at about the point that I was uh, I was. I had admitted that I'd fallen in love with the person I talked to you about earlier that I just texted while we were talking. Um, I wound up watching Jigsaw uh, at that same theater. Now, fortunately, I had enough friends there. They let me in for free, which was nice. But I watched that movie, and I actually found it, found it was pretty good. So I can't wait to see Spiral. Uh, and I think what's fun about all the Saw movies, you know, and to try and bring it around to the very beginning, which I don't know if it's 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 possible at this point, because, Paul, I got to tell you, I'm really drunk. That's but fine. the Saw films in a certain you know way, much like Drag Me to Hell and to a much lesser extent, Curse of the Werewolf. And we can argue about this if you want, but they seem like morality tales. And especially the Saw films, like everybody in the first six films, anyway, part of the, the main issue I have with seven is that seven does not adhere to this philosophy. But when you look at the first six films, there is a morality at play that even though the, 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 the main villain is somebody who's judging people when he has no right to, nevertheless, the people who make it to the end and the people who are judged by the end, 
there is a morality to it. Like, ultimately, all of the bad people are punished for their really shitty decisions, which I think is kind of true of Dragging to Hell as well. Now, you've only seen the first two movies, but having seen the first two movies, I think you would probably agree with me on that. Do you not? No, I mean, yeah, Saw is clearly set up as a morality tale. I Look, again, I want to be clear. I don't hate the first Saw movie. If anything, it's more like you've got to have every every fan of anything has like a thing from the <laughs> this this is like a very vague convoluted way of explaining <laughs> this every fan of a thing has an aspect of that thing that they don't personally connect to but like everybody else who's a fan of that type of thing loves and it's always kind of a pain point and for me Saw is a good representation of that. It's it's a movie that every every horror fan, for the most part, that I encounter really reveres. That I just don't connect to at all, in almost any way. But you've only and seen two movies. It makes me feel. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like I'm the weird one. You know, like I don't like that. I don't no, like there, Saw. There, there, there are plenty of people who do not like that franchise. All I'm saying is, is that all those people have also seen more than two installments. And out of the two installments that you've seen, you have yeah. liked 50% of them. Yes, I like Saw 2. Saw 2 is really good. And, and, and I bought all of them. I own them all. I have them all on Blu-ray. They're in you're, my collection. You're shitting me. No, I own even, them. Even, I just even have, Jigsaw. I, well, yeah, because Jigsaw, I bought Jigsaw. Yeah, I bought it. I have it. Holy shit. You are a completist. You're a completist after my own heart. That's Hats how much of a completist I am. I bought the, the Saw Blu-ray box set, and then uh-huh. when Jigsaw came out, I just bought it because I was like, well, I got the other ones. I am like I, a, I feel a you collector's on that. of the core, my friend. <laughs> okay, so I gotta tell. Okay, that's holy shit. I'm drunk. Um, so yes, here's the thing. I would hold off until right before Spiral comes out because here was my own personal experience with the franchise. I watched the first one and I loved it, and then right before the second one came out, the first one the, see, like the first one came out in October, but then it came out on DVD in the theatrical cut in like January. But then there was like a super loaded, awesome, kick-ass, like crazy, liquid, you know, uh, liquid blood. Uh, oh, yeah. Little chainsaw that. cover. Yeah. It, that came out like literally in the October before uh, Saul 2 came out. I remember a buddy of mine, actually, we, we called it Black Friday because it wasn't Black Friday in the sense of Christmas, right? It, it was actually Black Tuesday. Because that Tuesday in October, something like $200 worth of DVDs that we wanted came out. And we hopped into his Xterra, and we drove to Huntington, West Virginia to Best Buy. And we went there, and we dropped $200 in DVDs that day, man. And one of them was the Saw Collector's Edition. And, of course, Fangoria had just come out, which I grabbed next door at Books A Million. So I had to open that up and, like, literally recite the entire uh, 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 article to him as he was driving us back to, you know, eastern Kentucky. 
Um, but that collector's edition of Saw, it sort of set off a precedent for the next three years where, okay, so Saw 2 came out that October after the collector's mm-hmm. edition of Saw 1 hit, right? And then it came out on DVD in January, but then the collector's edition of Saw 2 came out in October right before Saw 3 hit theatrically. And then Saw 3, you know, hit DVD in January, and then the collector's edition came out in October right before the theatrical version of Saw 4, and then that was pretty much it. But it had a lot of amazing stuff on it. Anyway, I I think the first three are the most solid out of all of them. The third one is the best. I I love its weird ass love story that it tells between bad people. Uh, I think Saw Four is okay. Saw Five is boring. Saw Six is dude surprisingly great. <laughs> Saw Seven. Saw Seven is which was meant to end the franchise is insultingly bad. And then Jigsaw is a lot of fun. It's not great, but it's a lot of fun. And now I got to tell you, he's a longtime Saw fan. And here's the thing. Like I, every year, and this, I guess, was the point I was trying to make uh, at the very beginning. By the way, I'm at 2% battery on my laptop, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But, but (laughs) every year, no matter how many entries there were beforehand, I had to revisit them all before the brand new one. Hmm. And I could tell that every installment insisted that viewers did that. It was almost like a television show that just Hmm. happened to have one 90 minute installment that showed theatrically every year. So before Saw 4, I had to watch the first three Saw movies. Before Saw 5, I had to watch rewatch the first four, so on and so forth. So what I'm telling you is if you want if you have any interest in revisiting that franchise or watching it as a whole, wait until Spiral, the Book of Saw, comes out next year, hopefully after all this COVID bullshit is done. And just binge watch all seven that, of its films. That, that was what my plan was was to do um to finally watch it when spiral came out and then go see spiral that was my idea too like i couldn't wait for spiral when i thought this was going to be a normal year instead of what the fuck it's going on but uh <laughs> well I gotta we, tell could, you. we could synchronize that like when it when it all finally clears up uh we'll all go we'll me and you can go see it the same yes. week and then we can well, talk about it right before well, hammer what oh okay, no bullshit. I'm at two percent. I gotta I gotta bounce you here in a second. But what city do you live in again? St. Louis. Okay, so okay, I know Jack shit about St. Louis. But what I will do <laughs> when I have a vaccine coursing through my veins, I'm yes. gonna hop a flight to St. Okay. Louis and we're All gonna right. hang out and watch a movie and maybe spiral. Whatever. All as right. long as right, at man. some at some point <laughs> You gotta fly south and hang out at my apartment, and we're gonna hit Grindhouse Video and watch a couple oh, of movies. Oh, I'm I'm in. I'm in. I, yeah. I want to come during October, and we can go to Halloween Horror Nights. Yes. Okay. Next October, we're gonna celebrate Halloween proper, and we're gonna do Halloween Horror Nights. I'll do it. I'm. I will. I will buy a plane ticket, assuming that uh, the world is reopened. <laughs> We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Paul we, Farrell, we can do a live episode of this. We could do a yes. live one. I'm right. still hoping for that, actually. Paul That'd Farrell, where can people find you at online? Uh, I am at Paul is great 2000 on Twitter. 
All right. I am at Jinx1981. That is JNIX1981. You can find us online at ScreamAddicts.com or you can find me on Instagram at Jinx740941. Otherwise, folks, thank you so much and have a great weekend.